Whether you're buying benches, bread makers, or bottles of bubble bath, paying for business expenses with an Amex Blue Business Cash Card can be rewarding. You'll earn 2% cash back as a statement credit on your first $50,000 in purchases per year at 1% after that. So you get rewarded for getting what you need for your business. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Cash. Amex Blue Business Cash. Built for business by American Express. Because we all need a little bit of Bill WD-40 to lube us up in the Spreaker chat room. AbeFX, welcome to SOR chat. Vash the Impaler, good to see you. Mennonite Abe, Vinman, good to have you here. And uh, let's see, we are caught up on people right now. And uh, we got 30 seconds before we are going to start running with this show. Cheryl Costa will be joining Tom Whitmore and Science Bob for a great show tonight. Cheryl's hair looks incredible. Absolutely incredible. I think she flat ironed it, to be honest. And uh, we're We are ready to go here, people. We are ready to pump it up. We are ready to talk UFOs. We just need one help. Horns up. Let's rock. snowy mountains of central british columbia to you listening around the world this my friends is spaced out radio i am your host dave scott sitting in the captain's chair of sor headquarters we welcome you to tonight's show and our terrestrial affiliates around north america digitally on odyssey radio talk stream live and kpnl all of our archives are free Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at spaced out radio, Instagram at spaced out radio show, and on TikTok at spaced out radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. We got a power show for you tonight. Science Bob McGuire is back with special guests Cheryl Costa and Tom Whitmore to talk everything UFOs and the statistics of 2022. It's going to be a power show. Then in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp where our resident swamp dweller takes us on a spooky journey. Tim Senor will be back with the UFO report and we'll try and squeeze in the news as well. For the final time of 2022, hard to say that already. Darn it, just two weeks till Christmas, and I still haven't even started my shopping. But nonetheless, one of our great friends of this show, Dr. Bob McGuire, a.k.a. Science Bob, is back for Science Bob and Friends. This is where we start to take a look at the who, what, where, when, why, and how, rather than the woo behind everything paranormal, supernatural, and ufological. Tonight, we are going to be looking into UFOs 
And we have two impressive guests with you and Science Bob tonight. Cheryl Costa, to me, is one of the greatest researchers ufology has ever seen. She's a journalist. She is a military veteran uh, going back to Vietnam, and we love her for it. And thank you for your service, Cheryl. Uh, We also watch her gather statistics on all states in the United States regarding What is happening with UFOs? How many sightings are there? What is the number of people who are having encounters with strange phenomena? Also joining us tonight is researcher Tom Whitmore, formerly of MUFON, and he is now an independent researcher who really looks into everything that is about the phenomena. He is a trusted source for major news. He's a good secret keeper. He also has a nice mustache dating back to 1986, and we're hoping one day he grows it back. But we're going to get right to it right now. Science Bob, Tom Whitmore, Cheryl Costa, welcome back to Spaced Out Radio. Science Bob, this is going to be a power show tonight. Oh, man, I just cannot tell you how happy I am to see these two great friends here and two powerhouses inside the UFO field. Cheryl Costa is the only person who is putting together serious compilations of data from multiple sources that tells us about actual happenings as measured by numbers of UFO activity all over the United States. And now she's done, she did the big compendium, the pink book, I call it. And that's available on Amazon. And now she is releasing state-by-state descriptions of the UFO activity and the hotspots in each of the states. So if you live in a state, it's time to go to Amazon and place your order. It's just, it's just time. And Cheryl and Linda have done a fantastic job. It has been my honor to talk to them and write, but write supportive documents for them and do, do things like that. And it is just a terrific honor for them to be here. And, uh, and Tom Whitmore, uh, is a former director of MUFON. He's now gone into full-time research. And one of the major topics that uh, Tom researches is Majestic 12. For those of you who are not as familiar with Majestic 12 as you are, the need for UFO statistics. And, and so purportedly, uh, Harry Truman in 1947 wrote an executive order forming a committee uh, uh, with Vannevar Bush and a bunch of other people in it. And it was to study uh, UFOs, what are they about, and to uh, control um, uh, the recovery of these craft, to figure out the processes needed to work on them, recover them, store them, save them, and try to reverse engineer them. So uh, we first learned uh, in 1987 or there about 1984 to 7 about, uh, from Timothy Good. Uh, Stanton Friedman, Bill Moore, Jamie Shandera, uh, uh, through various machinations, which we won't go through. We'll let, we'll let Tom tell us about it, uh, 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 about these papers they had received and were trying to verify and say that, uh, to determine their authenticity that described the, the, the MJ-12 group. And uh, the people on it uh, included James Forrestal, Secretary of Defense, um, Donald Menzel, a famous scientist, uh, astronomer, uh, Vannevar Bush, who ran all things big time uh, from Manhattan Project to all the UFO studies, 
uh, for, for President Truman and then President Eisenhower, uh, and was a big time uh, engineer at MIT, where he put together analog computers and other things that were of major importance to the United States. Uh, 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 names like Helen Coder Hunsaker uh, and many of Nathan Twining, Air Force uh, General Hoyt Vandenberg, a very important name, Vandenberg Air Force Base is named after Hoyt. So we could go on and on and on. So rather than go on and on and on about MJ-12, uh, Tom, tell us what you want to tell us about MJ-12 from the beginning and where you're going. Okay. Now I was, uh, I was, well, I'm a big MJ-12 believer in principle. And when I retired from full-time employment in 2019, I decided to move to Washington so that I could go to the National Archives and the, and the Library of Congress. Now, uh, what I've done after COVID hit, they closed the government offices. So I started writing research papers. I could do that at home. And uh, I've, I've written uh, several uh, concerning uh, counterintelligence, psychological warfare, what was going on uh, with AFOSI and Richard Doty before the MJ-12 documents appeared. And and I've also uh, looked at, in historical perspective, of uh, fraudulent documents, of forged documents. So right now I'm studying uh, continuity of government. And the reason why I'm doing that is uh, Colonel John Alexander wrote a book about UFOs. And in that book, he was talking about how he was trying to get to the bottom of what the government knew about UFOs. And he claims that he had a source, a high level source that told him that MJ 12 existed, but it didn't have anything to do with the UFOs. And then uh, Dr. Alexander went on to talk about how MJ 12 might've been formed uh, for the purpose of continuity of government. So what I've been doing is, well, and my first reaction and I've both uh, spoken with Dr. Alexander in the parking lot at a UFO convention, and I've emailed him. But the list of people on the original Eisenhower briefing document do not, in my opinion, fit a continuity of government study group. Uh, for example, Donald Menzel, on, Donald Menzel is on there. He was an astronomer. Why would you need an astronomer on a continuity of government group? Now, there are a couple of people uh, that would fit, like Gordon Gray uh, is one of them, and he was, uh, you know, he was a high person in, in the government. And uh, also, um, Sidney Sowers was a close advisor to President Truman. So guys like that would make a lot of sense because they might be able to help the president uh, organize a study, you know, to get ready uh, for continuity of government issues. And this, this led me to undertake kind of a general study of continuity of government of the history of it. And I've read several important books uh, like uh, disaster government and uh, Raven rock and some other ones, but uh, you know, there's, there's been a lot going on with continuity of government, really going all the way back to the 1940s, all the way to the present. The, 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 thing, I'd like, the thing I'd like to say is my view of this is 
from the 19 from the 1940s into the 1950s, we saw two things. We saw the rise of the Soviet Union, which was clearly a competitor to us, and we knew that uh, that uh, we were doing the de- development of uh, nuclear weapons, and we had Project Mike and other things like that, firing off hydrogen bombs in the early 1950s. And also, at the same time, it looked like alien aliens were were doing reconnaissance over the United States and the world. And given our mentality at the end of World War II, the only responsible thing, a high-level member of government with the level of paranoia that was at extant in the United States government at a time is we needed to worry about this advanced technological species coming and destroying large portions of the earth, maybe even destroying the United States, especially after the overflight of the Capitol in 1952. All of this makes sense as belonging to the continuity of government principles needed to survive the Soviet Union or an alien invasion. Well, but the... I, I agree with you in principle, except that Dr. Alexander was claiming that in his book and from his source, who he wouldn't name, I asked him to name the source and the person is deceased, but he wouldn't tell me who it was. But he claims that it had nothing to do with UFOs. Okay, so I'm trying, I've am trying. i been looking at, at Truman's situation in the 1940s, and at first I thought, well, there, there would be no reason... Uh, in 1947 to be worried about continuity of government because the Soviets hadn't even exploded their first atomic bomb yet. They had, they didn't do that until 1949. But we did have an invasion of UFOs. Yes, but in terms of it not being UFOs, I in looking at Truman's situation in the 1940s, now they had just, in 1947, obviously, they had passed the uh, the National Security Act and leading up to that, there were intense debates and fights between uh, the Congress and the president and the branches of the military about who was going to do what and how much money each branch was going to get and how the whole uh, national security state was going to work. And that, that was really a preoccupation. But at the same time, like you said, Bob, uh, Stalin was up to no good in, in Western Europe. And that, that was a real worry. And the more I look at it, the more uh, I'm, I'm not exactly convinced, but I'm inclined to think that uh, President Truman had some deep concerns about continuity of government yep. or about getting into a war in the 1940s. Now, he, when you look at the MJ-12 document and the situation, there are different parts that you can move around. For example, MJ-12 may have existed because of UFOs, or it may have existed you know, for some other reason beside UFOs. MJ-12 may have been formed in 1947, or it might have been, if it existed, it might have been formed at a different time, maybe in the 50s or the 60s, okay? And MJ-12 may have been uh, composed of the 12 people that we have on the Eisenhower briefing document, or it may have been composed of other people that we don't even know about. So you can move all these pieces around. Uh, Now, I do... Based on the study that I've done so far, I think that it's possible that President Truman could have assigned a group to look at continuity of government issues 
uh, very closely uh, because of the concerns that he had, you know, during the 1940s after World War II and with, you know, the national security state coming up and all that. Now, it may not have been MJ-12. It may have just been a maybe a fairly secret group of people that were low profile in, in, in taking a look at this. Okay, one, one, one more question, and then right after the break, we're going to jump to Cheryl and let, let her let her really t- uh, tune us up on, on her books because they're very important. But let's just wrap this segment up here with a little discussion about um, just I have this view, having kind of lived on the inside, like I know where the bunkers are, where continuity of government uh, uh is in Weather Mountain and those places. I mean, I know all these places. I know about them. I know where they are. I, for example, uh, just let me give you one example. I've seen the room with Henry Kissinger's name on it. Okay, I'm just telling you. I and 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 Dick Cheney and so forth. I've seen these rooms. Okay, I'm not telling where they are or how they get there or anything else. I don't, I don't want to violate any security oaths, but I'm telling you these these places are real and there were serious concerns. And I just, to me, John Alexander has impeached his own testimony multiple times. I was in Huntsville at SCU where John Alexander, in one breath, claimed he'd not found no evidence of UFOs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in the government. And in another breath, in the same talk pointed to Eric Davis at the back of the room and said, hey, Eric Davis knows all about Admiral Wilson. He's the author of the Wilson documents. And Eric Davis just looked stony-faced. And I thought, man, I bet he pissed Eric off. And uh, they later, I I sat right next to them at dinner, and they were buddy-buddy the entire dinner. Eric was not upset with John for outing him as the author of that document in in that audience. I just think John's part of the cover-up. Okay, and I'm, I'm not saying that Alexander is right, uh, what, but what it, what it did for me, uh, based on what he said in his book and, and the remarks that he's made, is it prompted me to take that angle on the research, you know, to follow that angle on the research. And my newest research paper, MJ12, colon, Continuity of Government, will be coming out, you know, in the next weeks or a couple months are or you, so. Are you publishing that uh, in, in, in Amazon or just putting up on the web? What, how are no, you distributing it? It's on my blog, tomwhitmoreblog.wordpress. Okay, right. I knew, I knew you were doing and, that. I didn't and know I just, doing a more formal compendium. I just want to add that I'm going to explain in some detail how the list of people on, on the Eisenhower briefing document do not fit a continuity of government study. No, they do not. Dave, jump in with a question for Tom to take us to the uh, break. Tom, the idea that this is going back in history in very secret times, you know, for many of our audience, they are always wondering how this research, going back in time and learning about MJ-12 and other dark programs like this, how does this affect what we see going on in ufology today? Because there are so many new faces learning this this uh, fact that UFOs are real and there's people like you three and many others who've been doing this for decades. How does this kind of look for you, Tom, or how do you explain it to somebody new of the importance of these studies and learning about all these black op programs? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm 
something of a student of UFO history, but particularly from the 1980s up to the present. And uh, I'm on, I view Twitter quite a bit and there are some Twitter spaces and people are talking and it's obvious that they know nothing about UFO history. (laughs) And I, I, I hope that, well, that many of them don't, some of them do, but, and I hope that I can serve an educational purpose by putting some things into historical context. Now, whether MJ-12 existed or didn't exist or had to do with UFOs or didn't have to do with the UFOs, the fact of the matter is is that the MJ-12 documents were surreptitiously introduced into the UFO community. And in my humble opinion, it was some kind of murky intelligence op. And, and that's an important thing that I think that people should understand. Very cool. Yeah. And the, but Tom, I understand the importance of it and the understand that people should understand it. But, but for many out there in today's new ufology, if we call it newfology, you know, I mean, there, we're only supposed to look back to the Nimitz incident. You know, MJ-12 shouldn't matter. Uh, other uh, Project Blue Book shouldn't matter. Roswell shouldn't matter. You know, yet here we are saying that the, it is still as pertinent today as it was 50, 60, 70 years ago. Well, MJ-12 doesn't matter until it does matter. And that that's for the future. That's That's for the future because if the government recovered a saucer and its occupants and if... You know, it had to do something to study it and to secure the information. And and the truth about that, we hope, will come out someday, even though, personally, I'm not that optimistic. But, it, no, MJ-12 doesn't matter until it does. I'm going to tell you, I got up on my high horse the last two months with what I saw as the purported content of the National Defense Authorization Act and the Intelligence Community Budget Act for 2023. And slowly but surely, I've watched it erode to the point where people that are in special access programs like would be covering Roswell are not going to be exempt and allowed to testify and violate their oaths. So the we, it's a whether you're buying benches, bread makers or bottles of bubble bath, paying for business expenses with an Amex Blue Business cash card can be rewarding. You'll earn 2% cash back as a statement credit on your first $50,000 in purchases per year and 1% after that. So you get rewarded for getting what you need for your business. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash business cash. Amex Blue Business Cash. Built for business by American Express. Looking to do more with your electric drive? Volvo Recharge Plug-in Hybrids travel further in pure mode. That means... More scenic routes, more lunch dates, more spontaneous adventures. And that doesn't include the more you're doing for the future by driving in pure mode. Volvo Recharge plug-in hybrids. Do more on electric. Visit volvocars.com US. Major victory, but it is not the Roswell release document I had hoped it would be. And I think the things that are going on with that are if you believe any of the stories you've read in Tom's book or Kevin Randall's books or anybody's books about Roswell, they committed serious crimes in covering it up. 
and the civil lawsuits from the people they bullied and their families who have lost property, left their homesteads and all this other stuff, the civil suits would run into the billions of dollars, especially if a bunch of smart lawyers came along and filed a class action lawsuit and some federal judge said, yes, the government acted like jerks. And so you can act as a class and you may sue the government because of their egregious violation of your civil rights. That and discovery mm -hmm. would open a can of worms and sap and NDAs, et cetera, would be nothing because in a civil lawsuit, you are required to answer in discovery. There is no such thing as the Fifth Amendment. Well, there's a little book called Exempt from Disclosure that was organized by Robert Collins, who was, he was Condor and the UFO cover-up live program. But in that book, it talks about how Jamie Chandray was trying to organize with uh, higher-ups in the government to get big-D disclosure. And one of the objections was that there would be over 100 lawsuits filed if they did that. Yeah, and discovery is, is, is a can opener. There is no not answering the questions. You must answer truthfully or you're going to jail. It doesn't matter what NDA you signed. And Cheryl, when we come back there, Dave, we're going to bring in Cheryl, and she's going to tell us all about her fantastic work with Linda. I know. I mean, Hi, Cheryl. Cheryl is just amazing, just amazing. And, and uh, you know, we Anytime she talks, we all need to listen. We all need to listen because it comes from true statistics. It comes from from everything that has been reported from MUFON and other places that she has gathered. If you want the numbers, Cheryl's got the numbers. We're going to have a great show tonight on Science Bob and Friends, which continues with Dr. Bob McGuire. comes in every month to talk about the who, what, where, when, why, and how the woo is made. Cheryl Costa and Tom Whitmore are our special guests. We'll be back on Spaced Out Radio right after this. Stay tuned, everyone. A great show lies ahead. All right, we're clear. All right, Tom, that was a great half hour. Yes, very much so. Oh, thank, you. thank you. I aim to please. And you pleased. <laughs> We aimed, and you pleased in the direction we aimed. Oh, and by the way, hi, Cheryl. Long time no see. Uh, yeah, we're just hungered down here in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, last time I saw you was at the Ozark Mountain uh, Conference last, I think, last spring. I yeah, sure yeah. Wish, yeah. Sure wish I had gone. I bought tickets and everything, but just everything just fell apart right about then. That was where I talked to Dr. Alexander in the parking lot. <laughs> So you have oh, to get this information anyway. He, he he is just an oily character. Yeah, but he he's also he's admitted that he is a man in black. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, he he's flat out said that at least. Well, I, I, how many how many of our friends have gone to a conference and Alexander walk into the room and have all these experiencers who have my lab stand up and go, "It's him! It's him!" <laughs> I mean, well, it's, it's, I mean it's how nice much do you need before you understand he has a role to play and he's playing it faithfully? Uh, he hasn't showed up in one of my dreams yet, so I'm happy about that. Oh, he, it, Lala says every time she sees him, she calls him dad. 
and that this is a screen memory so that because they they understood well when they tried to do stuff to her that she loved her father more than anyone and so a screen memory of dad over alexander would would predispose her to uh thinking of him as dad i mean this is just criminal criminal And Cheryl's had a lot of fun cleaning up MUFON data. Right, Cheryl? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it, it's a mess. So, you know, I got, well, I got to look at some of it uh, with the former uh, uh, research science chief for MUFON, who since has moved on uh, from all sorts of things and no longer does any of that. And so I won't even mention his name. Uh, but he sent me some stuff and... It's a freaking mess, Cheryl. Well, okay, back in, I'll save most of it for the air, but uh, in 2016, when we were working on the white book, uh, things that we did then that took us like two months to do to clean up the data, I do in a week now. You know, but we have good written procedures for how to do it. MUFON has these requirements. New Fork has these requirements. And you do these things before you try and mesh them. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. Well, stuff. While, while I have the chance, uh, people might see this art here uh, behind me. Uh, yep. this, this is Desta Barnaby's art. Uh, Grant Cameron promoted her after she returned as his a research assistant along with several others, but she returned after a hiatus and she started an Etsy store. And this is Desta Barnaby's art. And over here, you can't see it, but you can easily see this one. This is Olaf Rockner. Uh, and the one on the one on the wall back here is Anunnaki. And this is, of course, the eyes of the machine elves. And Olaf is uh, Olaf and Desta are both brilliant artists in our UFO and alien and non-human intelligence field. I am enjoying buying their art. Good. Right on. Right on. All right, guys, we got about 90 seconds here. 90 seconds. <laughs> nice. <laughs> is Maryland out yet? Um. Thirty of them are out right now, so uh, no. Maryland's uh, volume forty-one is going to be out in about two weeks. Well, a a after we start reporting, Maryland's statistics will change dramatically. We see structured craft every single night. Every single night. All right, guys, we got about forty-five seconds. I want to say a big thank you to Linda Thompson, Deb from Sack, Maggie O. Or pardon me, uh, Maggie M16 or 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, whatever it is. And Science Bob for the Super Chats tonight. Very much appreciate the love and support. It's a great way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. So thank you very, very much. Also a reminder to all of you that if you want some great swag, head to our website, spacedoutradio.com, where we have our store right there. Just hit shop, take you right there, and you can get some really cool stuff that we've designed for you. And if you're looking for some travels, May 19th to 21st, 2023, join Science Bob, myself, Tom Whitmore, and maybe even Cheryl 
in Las Vegas for the fan party. Here we go. That would be great. Second half hour of Space Down Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate it. I want to remind you that if we, or if you, have missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Science Bob and Friends continues on Spaced Out Radio tonight as we are delving deep into 2022, the year of the UFO. And Science Bob, we got a great guest for our audience in Cheryl Costa, who I think, and I know you'll agree with me when I say this, is one of the, I'm going to say, top five researchers when it comes to everything mathematical about UFOs. Bob. Yes, I just want to hold up the most important art in here. That's Lala's. Okay, so anyway, um, Cheryl, you have done, I think, some of the most important work in the field of ufology. There are a few people like you and... Uh, John Greenwall and a few others that are just doing the grinding grunt work needed for people who want to investigate UFOs and their presence in and around the United States. You're just necessary. There are a few people in ufology that are absolutely necessary. And my two favorite people are you, you and Linda and, and John Greenwall. I don't always agree with everything John says or everything anybody says, but you are, you're very important. So I'm not going to assume that our audience knows everything. Give us, if you will, uh, a summary of your history of doing the statistics. Tell us about how the white book came into being and then the pink book, which, you know, uh, we, we had lots of discussions on. And then the, the move to the state books. Just describe the, the process, the history, how this all came about. Uh, I'd always been kind of a UFO bystander. I had a first my first sighting with my parents when I was twelve. Okay, and uh, but through high school, my mother and I both read a lot, got books and things, um, and we destroyed the copy of um, Von Danigan's Chariot of the Gods. She dog-eared on the top, I, top I dog-eared on the bottom, just wrecked it. But right out of high school, I went into service. And, and as soon as I got in the service, I got in a situation where um, I was starting to be under clearances and you couldn't be a member. You couldn't have a clearance if you were a member of like 150 different or any one of 150 organizations. And MUFON was on that list. And so was NICAP <laughs> and APRO and that kind of thing. So um, I kept kind of kept it to myself. And then I was in the Air Force, and later I was in the Navy, and then I was working for a defense contractor. So for 40 years, I was under the strictures of uh, uh, moderate to high clearance, depending upon what I was working on. And so I kept it to myself. Um, I was retired in 2011 from Lockheed Martin, 32 years with Lockheed. And um, I decided to finish my 40-year-old bachelor's degree in entertainment writing. 
which I did. And I was working for a newspaper in the technical department. And uh, one night I saw a, the real short story, one night I saw an article on CNN. It was November 5th, 2012. And the little article said, UFOs have been declining since the 1980s. Maybe they were always just an uh, urban legend. (laughs) And I said, that doesn't feel right. You know, so for the first time in my life, we had just gotten the 700 ton Swiss press running with the morning edition. So all we had to do is sit back for two hours and wait for the run to go. So I went out and looked up the National UFO Reporting Center first time in my life. And I I saw their numbers and I, I went and dug back in a few pages and found some end of year totals. And I just started copying them down 1985 up to 2012. And I put them in a spreadsheet and the things went up like a rocket, you know, a parabolic curve, you know? And I said, what to myself, I said, what memo didn't the UFOs get? You know, (laughs) the numbers were huge and going, okay. So the next night we just got the press running. I went out there again and started looking at some of the the reports people had, I had kind of bought into the kooks, nuts and crackpots thing a little bit, you know, who the only, maybe only weird people report these things, you know, and I got out there and you found the little one liners that said, Hey, wow, we saw something cool. And that was about all they said. And then you found people who actually took the time to write an essay and tell you what they saw. And they were trying very sincere. Uh, within a year, I was writing a newspaper column for another newspaper in town and it was called New York skies. And, uh, it became the hit of the paper, uh, uh starting out with local audience. Suddenly they're telling us after six months, we had a national audience. And then they came to us at the Christmas party and said, uh, Cheryl's got an international audience. You know? But when you're writing a newspaper column every week, Everybody said, wow, that must be fun and cool and everything. I said, it's a thousand word term paper every Thursday. Okay. <laughs> and you had to have something to write about. And uh, so uh, one of the things that I started doing is I started adding up the numbers for different cities, pulling from both databases. Uh, and, and MUFON had county data, but it was dependent upon the person making the entry. So it was wrong most of the time. And National UFO Reporting Center wasn't collecting it. I wrote them and asked them. And they said, put a pin in the map. You know, that was their attitude. So we started associating that stuff into like a loose database at that time, early in the uh, 2013, 14, 15 timeframe. And investigators in New York State, I was retired ones. I was showing them what we developed. And they said, we didn't know there was a cluster there. We didn't know there was a cluster there either, you know, and all this stuff. So uh, October of 2015, Linda and I were sitting in the pub waiting for our burgers with a couple of pints. And we were sitting there and said, look at all the cool stuff we found. And she looked at me. She's the scientist of the two of us. I've, I've got the arts and entertainment degree. I got the top hit and the cane. And, uh, but I'm an analysis person. 30 years of analysis at Lockheed Martin. I collected intelligence in the Navy. I can't tell you more than that. Okay. So the deal was, she said, why don't we do the whole country? And we figured it would take a year, took 18 months. 
and that was 18 months worth of weekends and that produced the white what we call the white book and i'll pull that out for you it's available on amazon okay and new york times was impressed when they saw this because up until then nobody had ever produced numbers including project blue book and then um uh, so we went the New York Times did a huge article on us in Science Magazine. Uh, and if your readers, uh, listeners want to find that, if you might hit a paywall, but it's uh, uh, if you Google um, NYT Costa UFO, you'll get you'll find that article April 24, 2017. And 2017 was a disclosure year, so to speak. There was the Obama era disclosure in February with declassified stuff in the National Archives, our story came out in April. And then in December, there was the whole uh, the New York Times, um, uh, Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Kleen, Kleen, Keen broke the story about the ATIP program. Okay, so 2017 was a huge disclosure year. And um, so we continued to work on this stuff. And then uh, during 2000, we wanted to do, we wanted, we always set out, people always said to us, are you trying to prove these things are real? I said, no, we're trying to measure the scale of the phenomena. Nobody had done that. Everything for 70 years has been case studies. And I have nothing against case studies, but think of them like auto- individual autopsies. Linda came from the Environmental Protection Agency's toxicology division. She was the head librarian at their toxicology library. And she said, why don't we do a disease model and look at the bigger picture? So instead of looking at a single ant under a microscope, we're looking at the ant hill. So then we also produced what we call the pink book. Okay. Both of these are available on Amazon. Okay. And this covered 20 years worth of data. Now, it only went down to the states and the county level for each state. And what we've wanted to do since the lockdown back in 2020 was we wanted to do a a series of books that would give you detail right down to the county zip code in Hamlet level in your state with what shapes were seen. Not the stories, but what shapes were seen and what years. Okay. And we had a lot of false starts because the data was incredibly dirty. Okay. Um, three and a half percent of people didn't put the name of their city in network about 6,000. Uh, that was about 6,000 out of 167,632 for 20 years. Um, 7% another, another 12 or 15,000 on top, uh, would say, um, uh, Jasper, Wyoming next to Joe's gas station. You can't sort on a entry like that you you can't you can't do that so we spent 850 hours during 2020 cleaning up the locations in the database and it was about 500 to 800 lines a day uh five days a week until the first week of january in 2021 it was 850 hour effort now people say why did you keep track of the time we were both government contractors old habits die hard track your time Okay, so, okay, so what we've done, and we just started, we launched on Halloween with five books, um, UFOs in Ohio and Where to Find Them, goes all the way down to the county zip code and Hamlet level, okay, 
and we did uh, we did we we launched with that launch on on Halloween. We launched uh, Ohio, Michigan, Nevada, Hawaii, and South Dakota. Now we told people we probably would be done by January of this coming coming year. At the rate we're going, as of uh, last Friday, we have thirty volumes up on Amazon and easy search for them. You can either go UFOs in whatever your state is. And if it comes up, it's one of the 30 books that we've got up, or you can say, you can go into the book search on Amazon and say UFO scholar. That's the name of the series and you'll pull them all up. Okay. So uh, we're getting ready to launch five more tomorrow and uh, the cleanup work is going very well. So I, uh, I'm not certain to say cleanup, but the, um, we have a very exacting process um, that we use to verify that the manuscripts are dead on before we put them, publish them. And uh, so uh, there's like 30 things for each state that we double check before we put it in the man, put the manuscript together. And we're doing this with modular things. This is done. This isn't typing. This is putting PDFs together and that type of thing. So we've got four more loads of five to go to finish the 50 states. we got 30 states up. And right now, the rate we're going will be done by either the last week of December or the first week of January. How are you doing? Are you doing any of the territories? No, I never tracked them. Uh, the data was pretty scant to begin with. Okay. Uh, but, uh, and I, I had a, I had a note, an email from a. Whether you're buying benches, bread makers, or bottles of bubble bath, paying for business expenses with an Amex Blue Business Cash Card can be rewarding. You'll earn 2% cash back as a statement credit on your first $50,000 in purchases per year and 1% after that. So you get rewarded for getting what you need for your business. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash business cash. Amex Blue Business Cash. Built for business by American Express. Looking to do more with your electric drive? Volvo Recharge Plug-in Hybrids travel further in pure mode. That means more scenic routes, more lunch dates, more spontaneous adventures. And that doesn't include the more you're doing for the future by driving in pure mode. Volvo Recharge Plug-in Hybrids. Do more on electric. Visit volvocars.com US. Kentucky Colonel a day or so ago that told me he was upset that I didn't call the 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 four or five states that are technically commonwealths call them out as commonwealths instead of states. But that's that's about the only complaint I've had. Now yeah. the, the books are all named uh, this uh, the name of the state UFOs in whatever your state is and where to find them. We kind of tagged into that Harry Potter Fantastic Beast and where to find them kind of thing. Okay. And the book is typically, this is Ohio. This is how thick the book is. Uh, the reason this one's double, this was an uh, uncorrected uh, test manuscript we printed with Amazon to see how big it would be. California will be that big. California will be upwards of 400 pages, but everybody else is running anywhere from about 60, 70 pages. Uh, and they're averaging in about 125, 130 pages right now. We're just coming into the top 10 states. And they're going to be bigger. Oh, that's a terrific day. Cheryl, the statistics that you have gathered, one of the things that I love about stats, and I'm not a big stats guy, even when I was a sports journalist, could care less unless somebody was coming up to 50 goals or 100 points. 
right? Because that's kind of what I did. But it's the interesting stats that I learned from a, a fellow reporter named Jeff, who is just a stats machine. Like he could tell you that this player over the last 12 years has 17 goals against the Canucks, you know, in 19 games or whatever it may be. The statistics are very important, but they also tell a story. And I don't think a lot of us understand how statistics like these actually tell a story or form patterns. Could you break that down for us? Sure. Um, Okay. Two things we learned by measuring the phenomena. We we measured, we, we learned what the drivers were for UFO sightings, and we learned what the influencers were. And one of the things people, uh, I've had a lot of people push back at me because they say, those are awfully mundane. Where's the exotic stuff? Nuclear power plants, nuclear weapons and things, nuclear bases. And it, it is UFO sightings are about the observers and they're as much about human activity as they are about the UFOs. But stats... Okay, for 20 years, we had 167,632 reported sightings between MUFON and New Fork. Uh, it's about a 60-40 ratio, mostly nat- uh, 60% National UFO Reporting Center and about 40% MUFON. Um, we averaged about 8,400 per year, about 700 per month, about 160 a week, and about 23 on, on average, about 23 per day. Now, that's all the numbers. The first thing people come to me and say, well, Cheryl, they can't all be real. It's okay. What do you want me to take five or 10% off the top and say the rest are real or something? And I throw them one better. Dr. Valet says 70, 80% noise. MUFON investigators will say 70% noise. Um, Linda and Cheryl, we got together and figured out that uh, uh, about 68 to 70% was noise. So we said, fine, let's take 70% off the top. Keep 30%. And the numbers work like this. That amounts to 50,289 for 20 years, an average of 2,500 per year, and 210 a month and four a week. Now, what does that mean? That's 210, if you say those are the real thing, that's 210 starships visiting the United States of America every month for the 240 months of 20 years. And the same thing, four a week for 1,040 weeks of 20 years. Well, there are some people who I say need to sleep with the nightlight. They, they want some smaller, more rare number, and I give them the 1% number. We'll throw 99% away, and that works out to about 1,676 for 20 years, 84 per year, and about 7 per month. 7 per month, that is 7 rail starships coming here every month for... 240 months of 20 years. That's that's something powerful there, and people don't get that. Um, people are always asking me, Cheryl, what's your take on the real number? And I say it's about 5%, which amounts to 8,400 per year, 35 a month, 8 per week, and 1.14 per day. Okay, that's my take on it. Um, and that's just the U.S., that's yes, just the that's U.S. Just the US. I did a crunch the other day. I'm afraid that I, I don't want to publish it. 
Okay. I did an estimated crunch based on populations in the different continents and then taking in their technical advancement, but almost every place you go now, they got cell phones. Okay. And so I looked at it and said, okay, let's take a guess. Let's say most the United States, Canada, European countries were averaging like this 23 a day. I figure we're probably planet wide. We're probably averaging, excuse me, about 250, 300 a day. Okay. And I had a spreadsheet where I cranked that back to how many it would be over the year. And it was it just absolutely mind blowing. But there was a poll in 2017 with Fox Pictures and a poll in September of 2019 with the Gallup organization that said 16.74% of adult Americans say they've seen a UFO. Well, that works out to about 40, 43 million people, but we didn't have 43 million reports. Now, there used to be that old formula, you know, you'd hear at UFO conventions, uh, one in 10 people sees one and one in 10 of those people reports them. Okay, basically about 1%. And I crunched it that way and it didn't work. Didn't work, didn't even come close to what the reported numbers were. Um, but we, we did come up with the number that worked around the 5% number. Um, 5% of the people reported them. Then the numbers worked with what was actually reported. So that's that's the deal. And people who could write me all the time and say, Cheryl, where's the hot spot? <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many television producers have come to us and said, Cheryl, we want to go. Uh, we want to go do a documentary series. We want to go camp out at that hot spot and just sit there and wait with them with our fam- camera crews. <laughs> and I said, you'll be waiting a long time and burning somebody's credit card to death. You know, um, the deal is. The number one state's California. The number one county is Los Angeles County. The number two county is Maricopa County in Arizona, essentially Phoenix. Okay. Uh, the number one, uh, let's see, the, uh, the other one. Okay. So we had, we had those counties. Okay. Um, th- that's one level. But take it down one more level, not quite down to the city level. Take it down to the zip code level. The hottest zip code. Get your pencil out. Hottest zip code in the country for 20 years was 85001. That is downtown Phoenix. And they had 1,374. Now, that sounds a lot for 20 years, but that works out to five or six a month. So if you're going to rent the penthouse on top of some hotel in downtown Phoenix waiting for the UFOs to come um, and shooting in four directions with your cameras, that's an expensive crew and that's an expensive hotel bill. So, so I have I have I have a, an individual's anecdotal statistics. Okay. So uh, uh, I put up cameras here, and so uh, every single night I see about ten to twenty what I call flashes. They're little light bulbs that are going off in the sky. Well, uh, a lot was taken to zooming in on them, and uh, the, because we we're doing videos. We see the formation of the flash and the ending of the flash. And what we're seeing is a portal opening, a craft coming out, and going back through a portal and leaving. Now, that's my interpretation of what we're seeing. But let's suppose that's true. 
If it's 10 to 20 a night and I'm one individual with a cheap IR security camera doing this, what's happening is people aren't friggin' looking. Yes. Agreed. Now, the, the drivers are population, but it's not the only thing. Every, a lot of people who know nothing about this say, oh, it's just more ice in the sky. It's not. It's popular. It's a complicated orchestration and stuff. Population, temperate weather, leisure time, hours of darkness, and ex- observer access to broadband. You've got a poor, give an example. There's um, 3,135 counties in the United States, roughly, and 120 years, 105 of them did not report UFOs. Okay, that's that's saying something. There's 41,600 zip codes in the United States, 18,600 reported UFOs. And I can map them, I've mapped them out in the book. And in the state, for every state we're reporting, we showed them the zip codes where they showed, and it's like Swiss cheese. It's not concentrated where people think they're supposed to be. Yeah, so the thing I'd like to see is something like uh, Sky 360 or some compendium of these security cameras that are kind of glued together in an inexpensive package that we could randomly select spots across the United States and the world and just place them there and gather statistics based on this. And I think, I think it's much higher than the numbers. Uh, Dave? Science Bob, we're going to go and wrap up hour number one, hour number two with Science Bob and friends, Cheryl Costa, researcher, statistician of UFOs, Tom Whitmore with a 1986 mustache will look so good tonight. Instead, we get his MJ-12 research, which is just as good. Spaced Out Radio on Science Bob and Friends continues right after this. Bob, you got the message from Dr. Steers? I already responded. Okay. I, I, I sent him my email in chat. Okay, cool. Good to have you back, hey, Dr. 90, Steers. Here's my 99 worked. <laughs> yeah. Cheryl, I'm starting to think that you're a member of MJ12. <laughs> oh, good one. Okay, guys, that, you that chat away. Joke. I'll be right back. Let me say it this way. Net, net Tavorish. <laughs> okay. Oh, so you know Russian, huh? Duh. <laughs> so I might give you some hints where I used to work. <laughs> My time at the embassy in Moscow was both interesting and awful. Yeah, I can I can imagine. So you're living in DC now, right? Sorry, you know, uh, I live in uh, almost, uh, I live 50 miles from Delaware in Maryland on 95. Roughly where? I used to live in Laurel. Oh, no, it's the other side of D.C. So I'm, I'm, I'm east of Baltimore. Oh, okay, fine. All right. I I'm almost to Delaware. Okay, fine. Yeah, I get that. Okay, I know where that is. Okay. All right, I'm going to go get a coffee. I'll be back. Okay, do what you got to do.
Oh, there's Cheryl. Hello, Cheryl. Oh, uh, you get you to unmute your microphone. There Sorry, go. I got booted. <clears throat> Great start so far, everyone. Great start. Good. Good. Tom, what's the chances of you growing that mustache back before Vegas? Are you kidding? I cut my hair shorter overall. Come on. I'm trying to, I mean, I didn't have much hair to begin with, but I'm, I was 
getting tired of dealing with what little hair I had. And I actually tried to start growing a mustache, Dave, and it, it just doesn't work anymore. You're killing me here. Yeah, I have, I have Lala buzz cut in my head. I mean, right down to the scalp. All right, guys, 20 seconds. Big thank you to Dr. Steers, Linda, Deb, Maggie, and Bob for the super chats. Very much appreciate the loving support you guys have given us. Very much appreciate it. And if you're looking for a Christmas swag, go to our sport, our store on our website. Grab your Spaced Out Radio gear for yourselves. Here we go with the second hour. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Ichnogram. Ichnogram is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight. With Science Bob and friends, Dr. Bob McGuire is here for the who, what, where, when, why, and how when it comes to everything paranormal, supernatural, and ufological. Joining us tonight, special guest researchers Tom Whitmore and Cheryl Costa. Thank you so much, Bob. You know, I want to start off with a couple of audience questions here, if you don't mind, because uh, they are starting to build up here. And uh, let's... Uh, Let's get right into it here, and we're going to start with Terry. Cheryl, how many events are reported in Oregon annually? Okay, uh, twenty twenty uh, in the twenty year period, Oregon had forty two hundred forty one. They average about two hundred and twelve a year, about uh, seventeen a month, about four a week. Four a week. Somebody's not. Somebody's not staring at Mount Hood. <laughs> no kidding That's ridiculous the mount hood is like every bloody day multiple times a day they're just not counting well okay bob i i gotta qualify something we discovered based on those statistics from those polls one in 250 57 i'm sorry one in 257 people reports what they see yeah Oh yeah, and I'm just telling you. I mean, uh, uh, James, what's his name, and all those people at Hood—they're—they're they're just nonstop seeing stuff. And we need a, an automated collection system where we randomly sample what are known hotspots and the places all over the world. I mean, we 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 the Sky Three Sixty is getting all sorts of data over Europe, and there might be a three-letter entity in Chantilly, Virginia, that has asked them for access to it. <laughs> and if we do this citizen science everywhere, guess who can't cover it up? Yeah. 
I asked Chris Mellum about citizen science at the uh, the uh, inquiry into the uh, anomalous, et cetera, and phenomena in New York City, Lala and I attended. And he said, citizen science is certainly a way if we can get it going that would just put an end to all, a lot of the secrecy and give us real numbers. Mellon was very supportive. All right, let's get to another question here from our audience. Let's go to David here, who says, hello, panel. Do you believe most hotspots are created by experiencers and the ETs watching each other in those hotspots? Whether you're buying benches, bread makers, or bottles of bubble bath, paying for business expenses with an Amex Blue Business Cash Card can be rewarding. You'll earn 2% cash back as a statement credit on your first $50,000 in purchases per year at 1% after that. So you get rewarded for getting what you need for your business. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash business cash. Amex Blue Business Cash. Built for business by American Express. Looking to do more with your electric drive? Volvo Recharge Plug-In Hybrids travel further in pure mode. That means more scenic routes, more lunch dates, more spontaneous adventures. And that doesn't include the more you're doing for the future by driving in pure mode. Volvo Recharge Plug-In Hybrids. Do more on electric. Visit volvocars.com US. Waiting for me? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can only tell you as two experiencers living here, I never experienced to see it. I never thought to see as much stuff as we're seeing. And what we did was we started paying attention. Yeah. And um, if you listen to people like one of your regular guests, Deb's Shakti, she's a regular guest on Spaced Out Radio. And if you listen to her view of all of this, all, all, Living things are facets of the uh, of the universal consciousness. So if we're all facets of the universal consciousness, then we're all part of the same thing. We're all a member of the large group, all inhabited in the universal consciousness. So we're all talking to each other. <laughs> um, Dave? Yes. A lady asked the question, what was the inspiration for the cover of um, our first book, the UFO that we had on it? Yes. Um, the inspiration was this. Um, I had taken uh, five or six uh, saucer-shaped um, uh, profiles that I copied off of one of these things. They had like 80 of them on a page. And I sent them over to an artist friend of mine, and I asked her to give me a, a an idea pencil art, not ink yet. And I said, I want it to be rough. I don't want commercial art. I want it to look like somebody reported a UFO and sketched it on a napkin or a pizza box. And I sent her six and she gave me these six things back. And we picked one that had windows on it because that reminded me of the Betty and Barty Hill one. Okay. And that, that's the UFO that we used, uh, that particular profile. And it was drawn by uh, a nice artist friend of mine, but her name is Susan Schneider. And she's a fantastic artist. Excellent. Excellent. All right. One more question here. Let's go to David Warman. Can we hear about more about Bob's orb flashes? Bobbert. Sure. So sure. Lala put up uh, security cameras and 
Then we, I got a psionics Opsin, and uh, this is that's a low light level camera which outperforms the military binoculars, and it's really spectacular. And it's night vision with very low level light. I mean, you can't see stuff in the dark, and you get color color videos from it. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Okay, so we just started noticing that in the sky we would see these flashes that look like flash bulbs. And so we looked at the video and we had one uh, set of security cameras that had pretty very high resolution, 1920 by 1080. And we started uh, applying uh, uh, zoom and look at the zoom. We didn't, we won't tamper with the original videos, but we'll take screenshots of the original videos and expand them. So, that, and we do all sorts of enhancements on these screenshots and so, for example, one of the flashes turned out to be, and this is three, this is flashes that are four weeks apart and then one, two weeks later. And in them, in, them, you can, in them, you can see a craft like this, like this, and like this. And they are the same craft, three weeks apart, rotated 90 degrees. It's as if they went, hey, Bob. Here's one side of me, here's another side, and here's another side. And you being a geometrically uh, imaginative mathematician, you're going to tell that we're just rotations of the same figure. And uh, forensic analysis is being done by a listener that is inside the audience tonight. Uh, I won't name the person. They haven't given me permission to name them, but they are a MUFON person and, and, and doing forensic analysis. And they're telling me that these things are real and they're structured craft. So I'm just telling you, uh, go outside, stick up a cheap security camera and, and start look up and see these flashes and take these videos that it automatically captures. Start blowing them up and looking at them on your iPhone. You, you get them on your iPhone and edit them and you can see everything that Lala and I are seeing if you only pay attention. Hey, Bob, one piece of research we discovered um and, and it was, I did this in conjunction with an astronomer uh, retired from Sonoma University. Um, I asked him, I gave him a copy of the original database after we'd cleaned it up and said, could you put sidereal time to this and see if the sidereal time, and he could only, his wife was going to divorce him if he did more than three states, and he did smaller states like Wyoming and things like that. But we discovered something, we, we thought, if there was nothing with sidereal noise, it's just going to be white noise. It's just going right. to be right, okay, right. white noise. So where were the hot spots sidereal time? Well, hot, uh, hot spot sidereal time, 1800 to 1830. There you go. Times. Now, that means the galaxy is directly overhead. And um, but remember, six times, you know, hey, during the winter time, hey, there it is, you can see it all the time. But in you know, six months out of the year, it's during the daytime, it's overhead. Okay. And so the, the, the issue came up, Linda was, and I were debating it one night over a couple of beers and we thought she finally came up with it and says, you know, maybe there's portals up there, orbital range, and they're just popping out, you know, <laughs> and that's what so, it sounds like here. You know? okay, so, so we, we live near Aberdeen Proving Grounds and this place is rattled all the time by all that shelling and firing they're doing over Constantly, there, testing, yeah. testing weapons and we see these flashes and what looks like portals opening in the same spot every night, the same spots. 
So it's like they're visiting Aberdeen Proving Grounds or something like that. Okay, so let me jump to a question here that I've wanted to ask Tom about. Uh, and uh, Tom introduced me to what I consider to be the single most important compendium of UFO data written, period. So Tom, if you would, uh, you're, 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 you've turned into really quite the researcher but you found some references that are very helpful. And so I'm, of course, talking about Jerome Clark's Encyclopedia of UFOs. That was extremely important to me. There have to be other things like that. So tell us how you came to find out about Jerome Clark, why you like it so much, and any other references you care to uh, tell us about, because it's, it's, it's the foundation of your research. Yeah, and I... I got involved in the UFO field in around 1990. So I'm kind of an oldster. And uh, back in those days, Jerome Clark was writing, he was writing for Fate Magazine. And he would write articles for the MUFON Journal and for KUFOS. And uh, in the 90s, he came out with the first uh, edition of the UFO Encyclopedia. It's three or four dark or blue kind of purplish colored books. And I had those. And then after I retired and I got more serious about really doing regular research every day, then uh, I became aware of the latest version of them. And they're two very thick volumes. It's over a thousand pages of material in small print. And it covers... Well, there's no way you can cover everything in the U in UFO history, but it covers just about everything. And so I want to I want to point out it's expensive at 179 dollars. I also want to point out that the third edition, which is the one I have, I think you have, I think that's the latest one, the is yellow. available yeah. for zero dollars in Kindle Unlimited. Well, okay, and I want to advise people to not buy that from Amazon. You want to go to the publisher. Uh, if anyone wants a reference, I'll be glad to give it to them. But you want to go to the publisher because I tried to buy it from Amazon and they only sent me one book. Yes, it's, it's so a, that's, that's exactly what happened. I did that and I went to the publisher. And, but I also uh, want to point out that you can sample it if you have Kindle Unlimited for zero dollars and then decide whether or not you want to go to the publisher. I have fell into the same trap and I went to the publisher and got the entire thing. But if you are interested in doing research in UFOs, thank you, Tom, for telling me about this book. I hope everyone else listens because Jerome Clark is it's it's like the Encyclopedia Britannica for UFOs. It really is amazing. And it is it is the foundation of any serious research library. Anything yeah. else you want to tell us about, Tom? Well, and I, I think, you know, you talk about the money, but it depends on how seriously you want to study UFO history, okay? And it's not, it's not really that expensive when you look at it in those terms. Uh, something else I would recommend for people that want to be serious about all this is to get now Jacques Vallée's many read many he's published many books that aren't from his diaries, but I recommend his diaries that go back uh, to when he was just a young thing all the way up Forbidden through science. the 1990s. Yeah. 
and the Forbidden Science series. Um, the, the other thing that I want to point out about Jacques Vallée that has truly impacted my belief system about all this, and I'm going to call it the phenomenon, because the reason is Jacques Vallée has just totally changed my way of thinking about this. Passport to Magonia, it basically is an argument that the phenomena takes on all sorts of forms and there are a bunch of tomfoolery and Grant Cameron calls it the theory of wow. They're trying to get us to pay attention and to learn that consciousness is everything. And- Whether you're buying benches, bread makers, or bottles of bubble bath, paying for business expenses with an Amex Blue Business Cash Card can be rewarding. You'll earn 2% cash back as a statement credit on your first $50,000 in purchases per year and 1% after that. So you get rewarded for getting what you need for your business. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Cash. Amex Blue Business Cash. Built for business by American Express. Start your electric journey right here, right now. With a Volvo XC90 Recharge, our plug-in hybrid SUV with extended range. For more everyday electric journeys on a single charge, with a hybrid option for longer adventures. Contact your local retailer to book a test drive, or design your own vehicle at volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC90 Recharge Plug-in Hybrid. The electric car with a backup plan and to figure out how to wake us up so that we do the right things and engage with this universal consciousness. Absolutely. That is, that is the underlying foundation to Jacques Vallée's passport to Magonia. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm an old graying guy, and I, I'm, I'm in an old nuts and bolts guy. Yeah. And I like crash saucers and alien bodies. That's oh, my yeah. thing. And, and so <laughs> Jerome Clark is great for that. Jacques Vallée covers the gamut. Yeah, he really does. I'm the um, former Buddhist nun. You know, I'm with the consciousness crowd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave, got any other questions from the audience? Yeah, I have a couple here. Let's go to Worsley. Are there any states, Cheryl, with low population that are outliers? Yeah, North Dakota is at the bottom of the list. They had 400 sightings in 20 years. But I'll, in South Dakota, it's not much better. But I also point out that we did some research and found out the amount of broadband that they have. We need rural broadband in this country, and we need it yesterday. Okay, let's go to another. Well, of course, of course Starlink is trying to address that, but it's not cheap. No. Let's go to Mennonite Abe here. Bob, can you tell the story about your experience at sea with the UFO? Did others oh, see the same I, I, shadow you I, saw? I can. I'm going to do this, but... This show is about Tom's research and Cheryl. So let me do this. And then let's restrict these things to Tom and Cheryl, please. Not me. Okay, so I went to sea on the USS Hampton. I was doing an intelligence operation. Uh, and, and I also went to sea on the USS Blue Ridge, which is the flagship of the 7th Fleet. While on the USS Hampton in the late 1990s, we were submerged, running deep and fast, and a USO went by us so fast that the sonar uh, chief came running out of sonar and said, Captain, look this thing. It went by us faster than the speed of sound and air, but we were a classified, we were classified depth, we're doing classified speed. Now, what do I mean by that? 
Submarines go a lot deeper than people think they do. They go a lot faster than people think they do. They have incredible equipment on them. And this thing was moving faster than the speed of sound through an incompressible fluid. What would have smashed anything made on earth to smithereens. Okay, that's number one. Number two, I was on the USS Blue Ridge in 2008. We went through a typhoon. Uh, I, I was one of those that is cuckoo and uh, had, had, don't, don't need Dramamine. I wasn't throwing up. I wasn't in my bunk. I was up on the bridge having fun, watching the waves and all this other crazy stuff. And I noticed that even though it was a deluge, rain was not hitting the ship. And I went, what the heck? And I looked through the window and up, and I could see a light glow. And whatever was this light glow was larger than the ship and blocking off all the rain. And pretty soon the glow got brighter and went pew, straight up and was gone and the rain returned. Now, look, let's talk to Tom about his work and Cheryl about her work. All right, let's get to another question here from Travis. Why is it so hard to reach any of these guys who write these books and do this research? And why are they not more open to the public? I would say Cheryl, Tom, and Bob, Travis, are, are very, very open to the public. But, I mean, a lot of their time is is really, really vamped up with their their own investigations. And, you know, when you get inundated with questions on a daily basis, like any of us do, it's hard to get back in, in a proper, timely fashion. Uh, any of you three want to jump in there? I'm fairly versatile. I'm I'm on Twitter every day, you know, yeah. so you know I can be touched there. Twitter, and, Twitter, and fa- Twitter, and Facebook well, for me, but, buddy. If I if I had to if I had to do email or written correspondence, I'd need a public affairs office. Yeah, I agree. I'm in the same boat. Yeah, but but I think the questioner is more geared to the more famous people or well well known people in UFO history, like. Jacques Vallée, I went to a, uh, I had some questions I wanted to ask Jacques Vallée, and I went to a UFO conference uh, at, where he was there, and I basically had to run after him and try to ask him a question. He was, he's very elusive, and and uh, some people know him, other people, you know, it's, it's just hard to get through to him. Now, I have I printed out an email that I received from Jacques Vallée, and I'm going to frame that and put that on the wall in my office. Now, another person I'd like to talk to is Bill Moore. And I sent him an email, and he replied and basically insulted me. And same thing with Timothy Cooper, who received all the second batch of uh, MJ-12 documents. Another person I'd like to talk to is Richard Doty. I need to sit down with him and go through a serious, I want to seriously go through the timeline of his career because I, I have some questions about that. And some of these people are elusive. I yeah. see what the questioner is. is yeah. I agree. I agree hundred percent. And my, my particular view, I'm friends with Dodie on Facebook. So I follow his stuff there. And uh, Dave and I have no people that interact with Dodie regularly. And uh, my perspective is he has a narrative that has been constructed for public consumption. And it is completely inconsistent with what a light search of his actual background shows. Yeah. Well, I, and you know, that's, that's a subject in and of itself, but 
I'm, I'm just getting at the point that some of the people that I know that I'd like to talk to and probably a lot of people would like to have some communication with, are, you, you know, they're just hard to get through to. Yep. I've been trying for 10, uh, 10 years to have a conversation with Whitley Strieber and one with Jacques Vallée. Okay, I can't touch him. I'm the same way with Whitley Strieber. I see him going on all these small, dinky little podcasts out there. His is the only book I have never finished because it scared me in communion. And do you think I could get him to respond to to come on this show? No. I, I, I I felt beyond lucky going to the inquiry in New York City because I sat right in front of Whitley right next to Ralph Blumenthal and between and and on the other side of me was Chris Mello. I got to talk to them and that was just the luckiest thing ever that my seat happened to be right in amongst the three of them. So I was able to talk to Whitley and he gave a great, great talk that was about his life experiences and how he came to be. Now I didn't get time to ask him a million questions, but I did get to talk to him. Uh, as, a, as a journalist, I tried to get an interview with him twice, and I got blown off both times. Yeah. Now, at the opposite end of the spectrum was Stanton Friedman. Oh, yeah. He he would talk to anybody. You could yeah. call him up on the phone. Yeah. You yes. know, and talk to him. And, and he was very, very accessible. Very true. Gentlemen and Cheryl, I'm going to get you guys to hold on right there because we are going to go to break here. At the bottom of the hour, we have Science Bob and Friends for another 30 minutes here on Spaced Out Radio with Dr. Bob McGuire, Cheryl Costa, and Tom Whitmore. We'll take more audience questions when we return on Spaced Out Radio. Stay tuned. we got another one half of the show to go. We'll be right back right after this. All right, we're clear. Okay, so I'd like to make sure that Cheryl and Tom tells us anything they want covered in this next segment. Sure. Uh, ask, ask me how, how our books have been funded. Great. And Tom? Well, I, I'd like to talk a little more about this paper I'm working on about continuity okay. government so that, that's, because that's there are the a couple of things that are, that's, that that's are interesting. The order. We, we, we will go Cheryl funding and Tom paper. And then audience questions. Is that okay, Dave? Sure. You can tell I'm not a journalist. I'm asking them to tell me the questions. <laughs> but it's the Science Bob show, damn it. <laughs> I, had a, I had a really good uh, interview uh, last week with a journal, a columnist at the Detroit Free Press. And he talked to me for the better part of three hours and wrote a really good thousand word article, uh, ran in there uh, for about about Michigan and the Michigan book and everything like that. Uh, sales on Michigan book went through the roof. Yeah, I so. bet. But Michigan I, was one of the heaviest states in the, in oh, the yeah, 50s yeah. and 60s. Well, I, you remember swamp gas and uh, yeah. uh, Pre- President Gerald Ford and when he was a congressman. I mean, Michigan mm-hmm. has always been a true hot spot. It's uh, it's number nine in the country, mm-hmm. so. and that's with the Upper Peninsula barely barely populated. 
And a funny thing was that the, he made a big point in the article that um, this guy uh, that interviewed me made a big point when he looked at the map that we had in there. He said, well, the heavy concentrations were around the bigger cities and bigger counties down south. The Upper Peninsula had a huge amount as well, and they were really quite surprised. So That's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. Tom, I really do want to thank you for steering me. Whether you're buying benches, bread makers, or bottles of bubble bath, paying for business expenses with an Amex Blue Business Cash Card can be rewarding. You'll earn 2% cash back as a statement credit on your first $50,000 in purchases per year and 1% after that. So you get rewarded for getting what you need for your business. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Cash. Amex Blue Business Cash. Built for business by American Express. Looking to do more with your electric drive? Volvo Recharge Plug-In Hybrids travel further in pure mode. That means... More scenic routes, more lunch dates, more spontaneous adventures. And that doesn't include the more you're doing for the future by driving in pure mode. Volvo Recharge Plug-In Hybrids. Do more on electric. Visit volvocars.com slash US. To uh, these different references that I had no idea they existed or what they were and your experience. It's been very valuable to me. Oh, thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. If people, uh, I think maybe about five people have read my papers on my blog. But if you read those, there are lots and lots of references in there. Well, I put I put a link to your blog in the YouTube chat, uh, and I will put the put that up on Facebook and Twitter later. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we, we, we went through a uh, social media exercise when Dave was trying to get to 20,000 subscribers. And it took off after uh, several of us put up stuff saying, hey, come subscribe to Dave. He's trying to make it to 20. And he went up 1,000 in a couple of weeks. That's been crazy. Sure. Yeah, social media is good, and then then Dave's trying to play the YouTube metrics game, and I think he's think, think this show is really going to take off. I'm proud to be part of it. It's kind of exciting. It is. Uh, uh, Dave, what's this thing in Vegas? Uh, that <laughs> is our second annual fan party. Oh, it was so much fun last year. So we all pay our own tab. We all uh, do a, a big get together. Cheryl, last year we had we had Tom, we had Bob, uh, we had uh, um, some Bigfoot people there, UFO people. Melinda Leslie showed up. Uh, Lorian Fenton, uh, Misha Johnson, Nicole Sackage, uh, Jim Goodall, Michael Schratt. Uh, there, I believe all of us are all coming back again this year. We're adding a few more as well, uh, to that list. Um, yeah, Lala, Lala and I have already bought our tickets. We're definitely coming. Yeah. So <laughs> we've, it's, it's Cheryl, it's a, 
you know, it's not cost effective, but it's a it's a place for all of us to kind of come together and meet under one building and and have a weekend of fun. We do a, we're going to do about a six to seven hour YouTube show. Uh, it's a great way to mingle with our with the people who are supporting us, like buying books and listening to the show and program. And uh, yeah, Sean Cahill was there too last year. Uh, yes, Sean, nice hair, buddy. Nice hair and beard combination. Uh, thank you tonight to our super chatters, Bob, Maggie, Deb, Linda, and Dr. Steers. Very much appreciate it. And uh, yeah, Vegas, May 19th to 21st, 2023 at the Golden Nugget. We have the room booked and we're ready to go. Here we go, everyone. past the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Science Bob and Friends is where we're at for the final segment with Dr. Bob McGuire and our special guests tonight, Cheryl Costa and Tom Whitmore, both heavy influencers and researchers in the UFO world. Science Bob, take it away. Okay, so uh, for the audience, uh, I asked Cheryl and Tom to give me a couple of topics that they would really like to cover before we go back to audience questions. Cheryl, please tell us how your compendium of statistics are funded. By the pensions of two old ladies. (laughs) Honest. Uh, People think we've gotten grants for all this stuff. Well, we do sell books. It uh, covers our expenses for doing all this stuff, barely. Okay, Um, we're not rolling in money. And like I said, we're both retired. We're both on pensions. And uh, we do this because we believe in it. And it's it's, uh, something important. And I get very sick of people who tell me I should put it all on the Internet for free. (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, nothing's free. I'm just look, I'm a lucky person. I've had a great job. I started two companies and people do not want to know how much money I spend on equipment to gather a collection of this stuff. They don't want to know. So I'm not telling Tom, uh, you were, uh, you, you have a bunch of stuff going on and uh, including you're writing a paper. Uh, tell, tell us about the things you've got going on and in particular the paper you're writing. Yeah. And I've, I've talked a little bit about this uh, continuity of continuity of government subject, but one of the things that, that, uh, Dr. Alexander insisted on is that MJ-12 didn't have anything to do with UFOs. So I started contemplating what, given the list of people on the Eisenhower briefing document, what could they have been concerned with if they weren't working on UFOs? And I came up with a couple of possibilities. A high-altitude spy plane 
or a high-altitude bomber, or one or both nuclear-powered. And I started looking into this a couple of days ago. Um, in 1946, they were already starting on uh, nuclear-powered in- engines for airplanes. And also in 1946, there was a Colonel Richard Leghorn, and he was involved in Operation Crossroads in the Pacific Ocean, but he presented papers to the Joint Chiefs of Staff arguing that the U.S. needed a spy plane. And uh, that didn't go anywhere in the Pentagon. In in 1953, he approached a uh, Pentagon Air Force general who wasn't interested either. And their their rationale was that Air Force planes are, are heavy and they can't, they're not going to be able to fly at 60,000 feet or 80,000 feet or any of that. And uh, so this Colonel Lakehorn, he even went to uh, Curtis LeMay. He, t- he took drawings that Lockheed had come up with uh, for a spy plane. And this is, this is in 1954. Now, the, if the MJ-12 group was formed in 1947, the U-2 spy plane was not produced actually until about 1955. 1955 was when, uh, you know, they went into Nevada and started Area 51 and all that under Richard Bissell. So that's what, five, eight yeah, years. Rick, Rick, look, Richard Bissell was CIA. CIA was behind the development of all the early spy planes. And Richard Bissell was the first director of what became the National Reconnaissance Office. There's a, yes. there's a, and, and, and the, the National Reconnaissance Office just, it, it, until recently, it didn't have any of its own employees. It wasn't an agency, it's an office. But uh, so, uh, and the large, large percentage of people who are at NRO are actually CIA officers. Yeah. And, and number, so, number two is Air Force. And number three, and way back in the line, is the National Security Agency and DIA. So it's just yeah. uh, the, 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 the Air Force did not want to do it because it would take away from budget from their, from their big warplanes. And so the intelligence communities, after Harry Truman started the intelligence community, uh, were, were behind the funding for these spy planes. Go ahead. Yeah, and that's true. And the reason why I want to talk about that is because of the timeline. The MJ-12 group allegedly was formed in 1947. So that's kind of a long time before they ever uh, produced a high-altitude spy plane. But when you look at the members of the alleged MJ-12 members, you have Air Force generals. You have three or four of them that were either directors of the CIA or or were involved in intelligence at a high level. Uh, you know, you've got uh, somebody like a research and development person like Vannevar Bush. Uh, you had and Hoyt uh, Vandenberg. Yeah, Hoyt Vandenberg. And you had uh, you had an aeronautical engineer in there. And you had Detlef De- Bronk, who specialized in Air Force medicine, high altitude studies, uh, creating these uh, atmospheric chain- chambers. Yeah. So I think, you know, if, if MJ-12 wasn't UFOs, I think it. Maybe they were just way ahead of the curve, and I can see why it would have been super secret. Okay, well, nope. think about think about. Okay, I, I come from the aerospace industry, from conception to producing one, like you said in the fifties. Um, 
coming out of World War II, there were two issues. Yeah, we did have the issues with UFOs, but in 1947, the issues was two years after the war, and we've got a whole bunch of German scientists out out west um, launching essentially V2 rockets, okay? Um, and that's where that's where your astronomer comes in. I think that was part of a smart panel that was looking at um, uh, an early space race type of thing of developing that technology. Uh, and if if the and if you look when you look at the formation of the national security state, it was about the same time. Yes. Okay. And then and, and the pipeline exactly for producing those kinds of aircraft you were talking about that's about right. Well, yeah, and, hand, and I'd, hand, I'd like to I'd like to mention yeah. Menzel for a minute. If if my theory is anywhere close to correct, Menzel would have been useful because he because as an astronomer he he supposedly would have been expert in optics. Okay, and he also had a reputation as an inventor with uh, producing uh, instruments. He had a very good re- reputation in that area. So. You know, what's the use of a spy plane? You're going to photograph uh, what's on the ground. So I could see how he could fit in. Into but that we were group. putting, okay, in the early 50s, we started putting up satellites. They had a civilian use, but there was also a classified use that nobody knew about except the very tiny cadre of people at the company that was building them and the people who was operating them. Uh, yeah, the, think, the, the, the Corona satellites. Yeah. Top, top secret. Believe it or not, amateur radio had a payload on the third Corona launch, yeah. uh, our first orbiting satellite. Yeah, Cheryl, those are good points. Everybody's and, making and particularly good points. with those satellites, they were using a technology for capturing the pictures, and then they dropped these things back in the atmosphere. They had airplanes catch the things with like, the under a para, under a parachute uh, under a parachute. You know, well, and, and Groom Lake. You know, Area 51, that was super top secret, too. And that wasn't even known publicly until Bob Lazar, I think, until yep. Bob Lazar yep. made yep. George, George and Lazar and Obama was the first president to actually declassify Area 51 when he mentioned it at the uh, Congressional Medal Award ceremony for Shirley MacLaine. But okay, wait a minute. Now, but when you're talking aircraft development, we're talking China Lake, and we're talking Andrew, uh, not Andrews. Uh, we're talking um, out there, yeah, Morocco, uh, the place where they were landing shuttles. Um, yeah, Edwards. 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 Okay, uh, that was the, the, the they used to call them the 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 goofy uh, was the the right stuff guys. They were calling them the monks of the uh, the high desert. You know. Yeah. Let's yeah. get to some Just audience questions here, Bob as they are piled up here. Start off with Apollo 11. Since it seems the UFO phenomena has more to do with consciousness, do you imagine UFOs are made in a factory somewhere, nuts and bolts, or are they thought into existence without actually being built? You talk to a bunch of these consciousness-based experiencers, and they'll tell you these craft are alive, and they have a consciousness. Yes. Agreed. Every, Every one of them. Yeah. Living ships, and if you talk to Dr. Villet, he'll tell you the changing UFO. Uh, keep ch- you, you go out there, you see it, you th- get your cameras aimed on it, and suddenly it appears to change. Either it's a advanced stealth system or it's a living ship that's got 
AI telepathy and it knows you're looking at them. So it makes you think you see something else, you know? Yeah. But if it's a physical object that you can touch, pick up, whatever it's, it has to be manufactured. Yes. Agreed. All right. Let's go to another question here from the Mac geek. If UFOs are possibly from a different dimension, could our weapons, testings, explosions be visible to them there? And they're curious. Our nuclear yeah. nuclear detonations were making damage in other dimensions. Yes. The answer is yes. Yes. I've never heard it that way before, Cheryl. Oh, but as I, I'm absolutely convinced of it. And the reason reason is I the reason the reason I don't know about Cheryl, but I know I know of classified information that says they showed up right when we blew them up. Yeah, that's that that's the point. We we set off three nukes in forty five, and it was very shortly after that we started having waves and waves of UFOs. I'm just like, telling you, I don't believe in coincidences. No, they no, there's no they, came, they came to do reconnaissance. Yes, exactly. And and there's a lot of consideration. This this was coming from dimensions that are in similar space to Earth. And do they care? Well, let, let ask Bob. What's his Doctor Bob? What's his name? Uh, what he witnessed when they launched a nuclear warhead from Vandenberg Air Force Base, and he watched them shoot it down. Yeah, and it yeah. was filmed. Yes. Yeah. Crazy. Well, but I I wonder if they're just curious though. They're just checking things out. They're not checking things out if they're shooting warheads down. They shut down missiles in Montana in 61. Okay. Uh, and, and this is stuff that the Air Force did not tell Eugene Condon when he was um, dreaming up his story to tell everybody, we don't need to spend money on UFO research. Here we are 50 years later and we're behind the eight ball. That was his, con- that was his conclusion which he wrote at the front of the book where yeah. all the statistics that are internal to the book tell a completely opposite story. Completely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to another question here. This one comes from Neurostream. Will Eric Davis ever be asked about the Wilson documents under oath? I believe he already has. Yeah, I think so too. He testified before the Senate select committee on intelligence under oath. I think Chris Mellon is the person to ask about that. Yeah. I do too. Yeah, I, I, I think he will if he hasn't already. You know, once once it was brought up to Representative Gallagher and he got it submitted, the Wilson documents submitted into the into hearings the and into, into the record, record. I, I think it was uh, Eric Davis was bound to to speak. Now, whether he pled the fifth through the whole thing, that's a different story. We don't know. Let's go to Terry. What do the cast this evening, that's you three, absolutely know 100% truth about UFOs? It's definitely a, a, a real phenomenon. Yeah. It exists. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah it, is, it is an issue. And they are using methods of moving around that are completely 100% inconsistent with physics as we know it. Yes. 
It is not aerodynamic technology. And it's not it's, it's mag, magneto-hydrodynamics in the ocean, Navier-Stokes, electromagnetics, gravitational physics. It doesn't work with any of them. It really doesn't, eh? Nope. Not one aspect of what we see with our own two eyes and our instruments fits with, with our understanding of physics. We are way off somehow. I will say this, if I can add to this, Terry, we know something is happening. That is 100% guaranteed. Even the U.S. government knows it's not Chinese drones. That's just another <laughs> That's just another facade that we are seeing right now. They know, they know, uh, I believe in, in people who I've talked to, that there is communication going on behind the scenes, maybe with the NRO or NSA or something along those lines. But we do know that there is something with the phenomena that is truly, truly scaring at least 50% of the people in Washington, D.C. and alphabet agencies. But, but my, my sources, and they're very good sources, very high level, are telling me that over the majority of people in the Pentagon still are hanging on to Chinese drones. The majority, including leadership, they're scared to death these are Chinese drones. It doesn't matter how much physics you shove in their face. They still believe it. So they sipped the Kool-Aid from 68. It said, you know, nothing to see here. These aren't the droids you want, you know. And that's what hurt the intelligence community for years because there was a stigma. So when uh, Nimitz saw this stuff back in the early 2000s, um, no, there's a ton of little intelligence agencies within the Pentagon, and nobody would touch it because of the UFO stigma. And finally, the uh, Navy intelligence had to step up to it, and my hat's off to them for doing it. Well, that's why Elizondo quit. Yeah, Because he couldn't get anywhere with it. Well, Alessandro also had a problem with middle management because you had this Christian right up there that didn't want to touch the prince of the sky, you know, that type of thing. And Gary Reed was Alessandro's boss, and he was so angry that Harry Reed and uh, uh, Senator What's-His-Name from Alaska and in a way from Hawaii directly funded him without Gary Reed being given supervision, and he persecuted Elizondo until he left. Agreed. Two more questions from our audience tonight from David. Cheryl and Tom, do you think consciousness has a link with ufology? Absolutely. I think that there's a connection with like a telep- telepathic connection um, because a lot of abductees have uh, reported uh, something resembling telepathy telepathic communication agreed and, and even in the uh rumors of like recovering roswell and one of the entities survived and all that the initial communication occurred telepathically or or something like telepathy so whether you're buying benches bread makers or bottles of bubble bath paying for business expenses with an amex blue business cash card can be rewarding 
You'll earn 2% cash back as a statement credit on your first $50,000 in purchases per year and 1% after that. So you get rewarded for getting what you need for your business. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash business cash. Amex Blue Business Cash. Built for business by American Express. Start your electric journey right here, right now. With a Volvo XC90 Recharge, our plug-in hybrid SUV with extended range. For more everyday electric journeys on a single charge, with a hybrid option for longer adventures. Contact your local retailer to book a test drive, or design your own vehicle at volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC90 Recharge Plug-in Hybrid. The electric car with a backup plan. There, there. I think there is some kind of mental connection there that we don't understand. I'll go. I'll say that. May I jump in just to just for go a second? Ahead. Second, uh, Dave. Thank, thank you for allowing us. Um, the best description humanity has of the operations of the universe is quantum mechanics, yeah. and quantum mechanics says that everything is a wave function. Probabilities of all you've got until you observe it, and Thank only you. then do the particles become real. That means consciousness is fundamental to the operation of the universe. Yeah. It's the logical implications are A, B, C. And as a mystic, I would agree 100%. <laughs> All right. Final question from our audience tonight. Coming from Mennonite Abe, Tom or Cheryl, do you put any stock into the Ramey memo translations about the Roswell crash? Cheryl, you want to take that first? Um, I, I've seen the same things. You, you see the crumpled up paper and people trying to extrapolate out what the, what the me- message said. Um, to be honest with you, I got to tell you this. I did not believe in Roswell for right up until about 2013. I didn't give it any weight at all until there was some stuff that I, I was researching for a newspaper article that convinced me that Roswell was a real event. Okay. But um, it, it would take too long to explain here. But um, as far as the, this, uh, this Ramey document, I couldn't tell you for sure. Yeah. I think it's, we really don't have enough information and Kevin Randall is a person that had really, looked at, into that in great depth, and he said it, they it, they really use the most sophisticated equipment possible uh, to look at that thing, and, and it was, from his point of view, it was, it was inconclusive. But it so is intriguing. My, my, uh, my, per, my personal experience, and I'll just tell you where my personal experience comes from. As a cryptanalyst and an analyst, signals analyst, etc., at the National Security Agency, we do that crap all the time. Every friggin' day, every day, that exact process is done. I assure you that memo was trivial to read by the intelligence community, and I believe every word in it. Well, it's certainly a possibility. I mean, I haven't, I'm just a little old citizen. I don't get to see what NSA does with it. I don't know if they did anything with it. I'm telling you, that process and how it is done is known and used by Oh, us. yeah. I know how it works. Yeah. All right. I think we got time for one more. We got two minutes here. Travis is asking, 
What are your thoughts on the government using remote viewers and mystics to communicate with extraterrestrials? Cheryl, let's start with you. They're smart to do it. If, they, if, 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 if they're doing it, yeah, they're smart to do it because it's not, it's, it's already been documented that where these things came down and talked to a bunch of school children or talked to people out in the country someplace that they didn't speak with words. They spoke through telepathy. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. How about you, Tom? I, I think they're really good remote viewers like Joe, Joe McMonagall uh, and them. Uh, they can, and, and they Mac. can produce some very interesting information. Um, the, the mystics, I mean, that makes me think of channelers and all that. And I, I'm not disparaging that, but I'm the kind of person that I feel like in order to make a claim, you need to have supporting information, documentation or supporting evidence. And you just don't get that with channelers. So I, uh, Cheryl, yeah. I'm not. I don't mean to disparage uh, okay. the spiritual. I, I teach. I, I teach mysticism classes, and the current class I'm teaching, and I've taught five of these in the last twenty years. Uh, remote viewing is part of it. We engage a scientific approach to instead of just channeling. Oh, what do you see? We use a structured data mining technology that was developed for remote viewing, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, uh, let, let, let me add. Do I have time to add? Yeah, I have time. I, I, uh, um, uh, I am putting in a proposal for a grant to the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies. The purpose of this grant is to prove that there exist people who can talk to the other side, prove it scientifically. That's number one. And number two, conclusively draw specific examples of information gathered through this process that are easily proven to be right. That is the basis for the Bix grant, which is due in January. And I happen to live with one of the most powerful psychic media mediums ever known. And another one that is involved in this is Melinda Leslie, who's in our audience. All right. Thank you, Cheryl Costa, Tom Whitmore, and Science Bob. For another great edition of Science Bob and Friends. Coming up next, we're going to head to the swamp. Then the Tim bit. Tim Senor will be here with the UFO Report. Space Out Radio's Hour 3 is next. All right, we're clear. Okay. Take care. So, so uh, Deb Shakti, Melinda Leslie, and Lala are all part of the study that uh, we'll, I'm putting in a grant for, which is the purpose of the grant, is to do that study. So, Tom, hopefully we get some solid science. It's going to be double blind. Everything about it is going to be as scientific as possible. Gary uh, is helping me uh, get access to the postdoctorate student who did the caudate Butaman tests, and we're going to get uh, if, if we could get everything worked out, we're going to test all these people for this Caudet Putaman enhancement because I believe it's a part of what's behind Bob, it. I'll be right back. Bob, if there's any way you can loop me into it, I would pre- appreciate it. Uh, you, you can be a part of the study. Okay. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You, okay. you, and you're, you're, you're going to be rigorously tested under double-blind stuff. In other words, I won't know when you're reading 
I won't know who you're reading. You won't know who you're reading. No, nobody that's going to do the statistics I, will know except okay. for the person we hire to do the actual interaction. Okay, I, I, I'm offering to, to, to give perspective. Um, I don't do the, the stu- the, that particular stuff anymore. I teach remote viewing. I teach mysticism, but I don't do that stuff right now. Um, off since we're off the air, more or less. Uh, I got, I'm a Vietnam veteran. I've been diagnosed with Agent Orange syndrome. I'm, I'm, just things I don't do anymore. Got it. Okay. Oh, I understand. I understand that because I tell you what, the every every person I know who's ever done this stuff has had a really at least one very bad experience. Yeah. So, okay, I must leave. Yep. Okay, Cheryl. It's bye good bye to now. see you. Nice to see you. I hope this went well for you. Thank you, Bob. Thank you oh, for having me. My pleasure. And Cheryl, it was my pleasure for both of you. And I will uh, talk to you soon, Tom. I'm okay. going to put up your blog on all social media. Okay. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. Take good care. night. Right, Corey Cole, how you doing? <coughs> Excuse me. Got a couple minutes left. I'm sorry, guys. I thought they'd all still be here yapping away. Hmm. <coughs> All right. Scott Jensen, how are you, man? Got the Timbit in the green room right now. <coughs> He's dancing away, leaning side to side on his chair. He's all hyped up after leaving the show the other night. He's on a timeline again, I guess. 
Holy cow. I had to work outside today, so the cold is getting to me. Not that I have a cold, but that's about it. Hope you all are having a good time. Good night, Kira. Sleep well. Badass Billy Gunn, how you doing? One half of the New Age Outlaws right there. Timmy. Timmy. Uh, I'm working on that right now, Candy. I should find out here very soon. Yes, we are working on getting David Politis back on the show. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Sorry for coughing in your ears here. Thank you tonight to Nero, Steve, Apollo, Dr. Steers, Linda, Deb, Maggie, and Bob for the Super Chats tonight. Very much appreciate the support that you give us through the Super Chats. It really helps out what we do here. If you could, give us a thumbs up, thumbs down, and hit subscribe. Here we go. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davy the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Ichnogram. Ichnogram is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets a password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you, including rocking out to Bumblefoot, reading Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again where we head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. The story that demonstrates just how deadly the Alaskan landscape can be comes from Nome, a northwestern town on the coast of the Bering Sea. For decades, the ongoing disappearances of both locals and tourists got some worrisome people thinking that there was alien activity involved. This inspired the 2009 sci-fi horror movie The Fourth Kind, which is set in Nome. It's a great movie, I highly recommend checking it out. In the 90s, a more widely held view was that a serial killer was at large. 
It reached the point that the FBI was brought in to investigate. They concluded there wasn't a serial killer, but rather alcohol consumption combined with brutal weather was to blame. Alaska has many alcohol-free communities, so Nome, where alcohol isn't prohibited, became somewhat of a party destination. Nome is a remote town that isn't part of the Alaskan road system, meaning the main way in or out is by air or water. In winter, temperatures fall to between minus 10 and minus 50 Fahrenheit. Although it's possible some of the disappearances could have been murders, the majority were ruled out by drunken misadventure. In such harsh conditions, intoxicated people are susceptible to freezing to death or getting lost or injured in the snow very easily. Wild animals found in Alaska include moose, black bears, grizzlies, polar bears, and wolves. Of course, there are many other fauna around. Interestingly enough, there are three times the amount of moose than there are bears in the state. And there are several mind-boggling laws about moose in Alaska. For example, it's actually illegal to whisper in somebody's ear while moose hunting. It's also illegal to give a moose an alcoholic beverage, or to push a live moose out of an airplane. I mean, these things are kind of obvious, but like, why are they laws? And first of all, I want to know who the heck pushed a moose out of a plane that made this law even remotely applicable. I just hope I didn't ruin your plans this weekend to go drinking with your local wildlife. Going back to the main topic at hand, moose aren't really thought to be much more dangerous than bears. But due to their insane numbers in the states, they are actually considered the main threat when it comes to human and animal encounters and attacks. Moose injure anywhere between 5 and 10 people annually in Alaska, which is actually more than black bear and grizzly attacks combined. Wolf attacks on humans are extremely rare. The death of 32-year-old Candace Burner is unfortunately a tragic exception. In 2010, she was set upon by at least two wolves while she was out for a hike, Chignik Lake a small fishing village about 500 miles away from Anchorage. Although this incident was terrifying for the locals at large, such attacks are incredibly rare as we stated, especially fatal ones. Candace Burner's death was the second case of healthy wolves attacking a human being in modern North America, the last one being in Canada in 2005. Statistics for moose, bear, and wolf attacks are so low that it is honestly very unlikely that they are attributing to thousands of missing persons cases, especially nearly hundreds every single year. Of course, recorded cases only go as far as bodies that have been found. You can't tell how many people actually were attacked by animals and drug away or eaten entirely. So bears, wolves, etc. could be a part of some of these numbers, but I think it's unlikely that they are the main part of these numbers. In such vast wilderness, people could have fallen or have been dragged into such areas that search and rescue teams could not find or just not accessible to them. Assuming they didn't hike to those areas themselves, of course. However, with animal attacks being so low and missing persons rates being so high, it is very doubtful that animal attacks are a major reason behind these missing persons cases. But there is no doubt that they do contribute somewhat. Even so, it's always important to read up on the predators in areas you may be hiking or camping in just so you are protected and you are prepared in case of an encounter. Now, let's move on to some more conspiracy-filled reasons behind the strange phenomenon in the Alaskan Triangle. There is a growing group of people who believe that animals are indeed attacking people in Alaska, but not the animals we just went over. They're thinking they might be a bit more squatchy. That's why we love the swamp dweller around here. <clears throat> Excuse me. As he joins us each and every Monday through Friday night to take us on a spooky journey 
And if you want more Swamp Dweller, all you got to do is go to his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads, and he will get right to you with a ton of stories, a plethora of stories, thousands of stories just like that one to spook you out each and every night. From the swamp to the stars, it's time for the UFO report. Let's bring in our resident Timbit, Tim Senor. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. Well, the burning question that we all have, Tim Senor, after you left the the show the other night, how was the Barry White in the fireplace at Chateau Senor? Just finished. (laughs) Wow. Quite a session. Quite a session. Tantric. Tantric all the way. Just deep breathing exercises and... Keep your eyes on the horizon. I think that yeah. seems to help. For those of us uh, who may not have tuned in a couple nights ago, Tim was in a hurry to get off the show because Mrs. Senor had put a time limit on him, if you know what I mean. If you know what I mean. Yeah, the Tantra started early, and it ended up going late. And good for you, Tim. Good for you. God bless you. Yeah, the boss rings the bell. You got to run. Definitely. That's there's been a lot going on in the world of UFO as well, and I've been trying to oh. keep my head above water. Are you, are you right? changing and topics so, that quick? No, no. Let's please let's linger on my love life, please. All right, all right. Let's just get to UFOs. <laughs> you are a clap. I, I love you, man. I have missed you. We, we by talk the way, more often too. By the way, I know you were tuned in last night to Swamp Dweller. Did you hear did you hear the story that I told him about what happened to me back in September? Um no. Give me a refresher. I'd love to hear it. Well, both myself and Mrs. SOR actually started having like every night when I go to bed, I'll I got my phone right beside my bed, I'll set my alarm, and a lot of times, majority of nights Whether you're buying benches, bread makers, or bottles of bubble bath, paying for business expenses with an Amex Blue Business Cash Card can be rewarding. You'll earn 2% cash back as a statement credit on your first $50,000 in purchases per year at 1% after that. So you get rewarded for getting what you need for your business. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash business cash. Amex Blue Business Cash. Built for business by American Express. Start your electric journey right here, right now. With a Volvo XC90 Recharge, our plug-in hybrid SUV with extended range. For more everyday electric journeys on a single charge with a hybrid option for longer adventures. Contact your local retailer to book a test drive or design your own vehicle at volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC90 Recharge Plug-in Hybrid. The electric car with a backup plan. I'll actually play Swamp Dweller, fall asleep to his stories. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> in September, I actually had to turn it off because I went through about a week to 10 days 
and Miss Esselar did as well, where we were actually not together, but actually having extremely lucid dreams about his stories. And actually, I, re- I recall, I'll talk about myself here, recall actually being projected into his stories and watching them live and actually play out right in front of me. And I've never had that happen before. And it was happening. And it would be the it would be the kind of thing like I think once you hit forty, all of us go to be- the bathroom at least once in the middle of the night, you know. And whether you go to the bathroom or you get up to go get a a drink of water or, or whatever, I would I would get up, and I would say go get a drink of water, come back to bed, and I'd re-enter that dream. Right. Scared the daylights right. out of me, man. Scared the Whatever daylights you do, out of me. Don't fall asleep to porn. Right? Find yourself involved in that. It's kind of like cheating, right? Well, we actually this leave. This is SOR would get salty. Well, we actually leave that to you. You know. <laughs> I don't watch porn. Well, no, apparently not. <laughs> oh, Dave. Right up against the wall there, you are. <laughs> You started it. You started it, you sicko. You started it. You started it. All right. Let's get to some UFOs tonight, my friend, because there oh, is yeah. a lot going on in the world right now when it when it comes to this. Indeed. I mean, where do you want to start? I want to start. I know you have it here as number two on your list, but a former oh, okay. U.S. Air Force sergeant claimed to see a giant alien moon base on the far side of the moon. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I even got to meet with an insider this past, uh, what was it, August in Denver. And they shared some photographs, probably of exactly what we're going to be talking about right here, that are just breathtaking. And it makes you wonder. And so NASA conspirators and whistleblowers have full assurance that the U.S. Space Agency has been covering the evidence of UFOs since the Apollo mission. And so Donna Hare claimed to have worked for NASA contractor Philco Ford in the early 1970s. And she had a high security clearance to walk into NASA's photo lab and other departments. So during the Disclosure Project press conference, Hare revealed that NASA covered up and eliminated space anomalies such as UFOs from satellite photos. And so Hare has got several awards in space programs, and she's dedicated most of her time and technical expertise into exploring the space programs to to help create lunar maps, landing slides, and has been working for 15 years as a subcontractor for NASA. And so as we move forward into this great story, former U.S. Air Force uh, scientist Robin Brett was amongst the first people to study the direct research of moon rocks. And it says it's easier to explain the non-existence of the moon than its existence. And so besides, according to scientists, the moon is older than the Earth by nearly 800,000 years, which raises a lot of questions in itself. Former U.S. Air Force Sergeant Carl Wolf also had top-secret clearance and worked at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia, and worked as a precision electronics photograph repairer for NASA's Lunar Orbiter Project. And so one day he was taken into a lab and shown some very interesting 
photographs. His level of security clearance was enhanced, and as a result, he was allowed even more highly, extremely secure laboratory clearance. And so in this great story, Wolf was aware that in order to fix the imaging processing equipment, he would first need to uh, have it removed, and he would also have to be aware of half the diagnostics on this kind of equipment would take some time to complete. So after he was informed that all of NASA's picture data was transferred to Langley, he was allowed access. Wolf was told that the new better pictures had shown structures of the surface of the moon's dark side where there were both surprising and clear structures that could not have been made by natural means like meteors or ancient collisions between other celestial bodies. The structures were created by intelligent beings and, quote, were discovered, the airmen said, as a base on the backside of the moon. And so Wolf was obviously stunned by this extraordinary disclosure, and he remembers literally shaking, trying to take in the enormity of what he'd just been told. And so seeing Wolf's disbelief, uh, the darkroom attendant continued, yes, a base on the dark side of the moon. And so incredibly credible stories coming from some credible witnesses. Dave, what's your opinion with some of this? Knowing that the moon is in fact 800,000 years even older than our planet, and yet somehow it revolves around us. Well, we're more important, that's why. What's the moon got to offer? doesn't even have a Taco Bell on it yet. You know, you just, <laughs> seriously. It will soon. Probably. It might. It actually Probably. might already have Taco Bell and Starbucks, right? By the way, shout out to Vin Man earlier today who sent me a TikTok about there somewhere in Texas. You can actually pull up to a gas station. And while you're filling your gas tank, there is an order board right there where you can order tacos from the taco stand inside. And they will deliver them to your vehicle while you're filling Genius. up. I will tell genius. you right now, you know, this is where I say God is good. Okay. This is where I say God is good because that's a godly move right there. Godly move. No, but seriously, getting back to, to what you were saying, I think we need to try and get Donna Hare back on this show. Okay, Donna Hare, former NASA employee, she actually watched photos being scrubbed of UFOs by NASA. That they actually have a department that scrubs photos of UFOs and anything else that could be considered anomalous. And this gets back, Tim, to what we were talking about the last number of months right where we know nasa is lying and i hate that word once again i hate calling anybody a liar yeah okay i I've, but we know i've given a lot of thought on that and you know what do you think is their real motivation for hiding this secret they spend so much money to hide it is it because they've already started it and they can't reverse it without showing their cards is it to hide technology what do you think is the ultimate reason for them in particular nasa let's just say i think it's is it a, because 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish up. Oh, I was just I was just going to say, is it because they don't want to highlight the fact that it's a distraction to astronauts, um, you know, and things like that, where they're getting off mission and things like that? Well, what I think we thoughts? have to remember there is two sides to NASA. There's the public side that we all see watching the rockets and the astronauts go team. Let's head to space. And there's the darker side which is they are a military branch. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, they are a military branch. And we have to be very, very cognizant of the fact that NASA does not work for the public. They do not. You know, how else are those spy satellites getting up there? Military doesn't launch their own satellites, right? They're just up there. They just, we don't know how they get up there. It's just, it's a miracle. <laughs> well, but, but the idea behind it, my friend, is this. We, as a public, have never held NASA accountable. We, as a public, have always taken them as astronauts, as heroes. All right, that goes back to... The days of Gemini, John Glenn. But when we look at it today, we don't know what they have. This is why it is so insulting when you hear Executive Director Bill Nelson talk about talking about UFOs and talking to Navy pilots about what they've seen. And this is where we've been yelling at them. When are you going to check your own closet? Not only on this show, but we've been doing it on social media as well. Every time yeah. there's somebody talk, a politician or Bill Nelson talking about NASA, we get in there, we fire back. Have you checked your closets yet, Bill? Because it's real simple. But what's their real motivation literally for spending so much money and having a department dedicated to just erasing anomalies in, in photos? Why are they doing that? Look. They don't want the public to know what's going on. They're part of the 50% that doesn't want disclosure. Whether it's for technology, whether it's because contact has been made, whether it's because of crash retrievals, reverse engineering, there's a lot going on there. Maybe even the secret space program. We don't know, Tim. Right? This is what we do know. In today's world... Airline travel is obsolete. Flying 19 hours to Australia from Los Angeles should have ended decades ago. Yet, we're still building 747s. And 767s, 777s in order to get there. We also know that rocketry is obsolete. Even with what uh, Elon Musk is doing. We do know that fission is going to play an important part in getting fusion. us to go, or fusion, pardon me, is going to get us a, an important part of moving the rockets forward, whether it's yeah. through some sort of gel or whether like something else. Good, good play on words. Definitely moving rockets forward. <laughs> That's why you're the brains of the operation here, Tim. That's right. But but the whole the whole idea and premise about this, Tim, is this. 
it all comes down to that UFO Pandora's box that I believe is sitting in the middle of the Pentagon somewhere. Probably be about 150 stories down, right where Dick Cheney hid the $2.3 trillion that he lost on September 10th, 2001. <laughs> okay? Now, now, and I'm serious about that. I am totally serious about that. And when when you look at everything that's kind of gone on with that, there are a lot of secrets that the military, which includes NASA, and these government alphabet agencies do not want getting out to the public. They'll let us speculate like we are right now. They will let us talk about it. They will let us, you know, you know, throw tantrums about what are you hiding, NASA? All right. But not man. They're not going to give them up, man. They are not going to give up the secrets. Quick question. When did we realize that NASA was lying to us? Because I know there's a few documentaries, but I'm just wondering if you have a, a rough idea. When did we suddenly realize that NASA was holding back imagery? Was it when our some of our astronauts came forward? Did I, we believe them right that. off the bat? I would say that, that and it, it, it provided Donna Hare with a, a much-needed uh, credence to her story about, about being... what year? I, I, I couldn't pick a year. Okay. I wasn't in this field when, when that happened. Okay. Uh, you know, it's better than, you know, jumping on it and saying 1982 or whatever. But, Tim, I'm going to get you to hold on right there. We are going to go to break here at the bottom of the hour. We have another 30 minutes left with Tim Senor on the UFO Report. Spaced Out Radio with me, Dave Scott, continues right after this. Stay tuned. All right, we're clear, dude. Sorry to bounce back with you. I just, I, I have so many questions on that. Oh, right ask now. away, dude. The, we got time. And just the fact I know you know so much on this, it's great. Oh, I, I love this talk. I do. Do you think like NSA and NASA are linked? They're same all linked. Way? They are all linked. And is that a part of the reason that a lot of those images don't get out? No, I, I, I think it's as simple as they don't want us to know, Tim. They don't want us to know. They don't want us to be a part of it. They don't care about the public. I mean, look, Tim, look at the experiencers out there who have had sightings, okay? And look what we're told. It's not important. But, I mean, holy Dinah, if a, uh, what can we put it? If a uh, uh, an Air Force pilot or a Navy pilot has a sighting or Captain Jack Sparrow has a sighting while flying a 737 from Dallas to Tulsa. It's okay. a great point you're, you're making, and they're considered trained observers, and so we, we just lend that credibility. Um, but at the same rate, I was talking to someone recently, and they were explaining how, and I don't, I'm not trying to cast aspersions at our military because I come from a military family, but I didn't, I wasn't aware that there was such a drug problem in our military. And I'm not saying that everybody in the military does drugs, but there's a problem there. 
and I wasn't aware of it, but they were talking about it. And then it brought up the fact that we hold all of our military up to high standards. And obviously there's a lot of pressure there. So that could explain the drug problem. But my point being is that how does the fact that they live the same lifestyle as somebody um, that is a civilian, how does that give them the same level of, of credibility? Knowing that that in particular, like if there's smoking and partying on the weekends um, and doing the same thing as the rest of the public, how does that make them a better observer just because they've been trained to know what to look for? Um, but a lot of that, do, you know what I mean? You know where okay. I'm going with this? Look, I'm just saying like, look, how is, how are, just because they're military, does it make them a better observer? I guess well, that's my point. And I think that's a great, a great point. I, I do. I understand with where you're going. But we have to realize nobody's perfect, okay? Oh, the, for sure. The best baseball players in the world, okay, when they step up to the plate, they are wrong 70% of the time. And that's probably good average. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, 0.687 Canadian boys will make the NHL. Of course, you know that that number, that number is decreasing. (laughs) That number is decreasing with the amount of European hockey players and the amount of American hockey players coming into the league. Okay. So, I mean, statistics are, are, are skewed in that, in that way. So the idea behind, I guess where I'm, I had a purpose of, of going with this and I've seemed to have lost it all of a sudden. Well, let me circle you back in because along with what I was saying is even amongst military personnel, isn't there like a code of silence on things? So like if there's a massive um, observance and an opportunity to whistleblow, they still may not take that opportunity because even amongst themselves, there's that code of silence. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when you're part of a squadron, you're part of a family. Thanks for that in the comments. Right? When when, when you're when you join a squadron, you're part of that family. And and you're not going to break the rules of your brothers and sisters. That's camaraderie. They've got your back and you got to have theirs. You know, that's what teamwork is all about. You may not agree with it, but you still got their back. Right. And that's part of why Kevin Day was so brave, taking that first step forward, because, you know, other people then saw him and were able to come forward. And it was that first step. Right. And I feel like we need that first step again. And and I don't know how it needs to come from another source. And I hope that this whistleblower program will make that happen. But I don't know if we as the public are going to get it. Hold on, buddy. hear about it. We have 15 seconds. Thank you to all our super chatters tonight and everybody who's done some shopping at our website. Don't forget to hit subscribe, ring that bell, give our thumbs up or down, and a comment after the show. It helps with our algorithms. Here we go, everyone. We're 
around in third. We're heading for home tonight on Space Down Radio. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives. We go to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read the Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show. And on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on with the UFO report. Touchy subject with Tim Senor right off the bat here regarding NASA. What are they hiding after a big report that maybe there are bases and structures on the other side of the moon? Hmm. Interesting topic, Tim. Yeah, I think Pink Floyd had it right. Absolutely. (laughs) And I do believe that there could be structures there. And I also believe that there could be all kinds of things out on the dark side of the moon that we don't have direct visual, you know, contact with, Um, you know, things can hide behind things very conveniently. Can't they, Dave? Uh, yeah, and I think you're right on that. But, you know, when you when you control a monopoly that NASA has, because everybody... Whether you're buying benches, bread makers, or bottles of bubble bath, paying for business expenses with an Amex Blue Business Cash Card can be rewarding. You'll earn 2% cash back as a statement credit on your first $50,000 in purchases per year and 1% after that. So you get rewarded for getting what you need for your business. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash business cash. Amex Blue Business Cash. Built for business by American Express. Start your electric journey right here, right now. With a Volvo XC90 Recharge, our plug-in hybrid SUV with extended range. For more everyday electric journeys on a single charge, with a hybrid option for longer adventures. Contact your local retailer to book a test drive, or design your own vehicle at volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC90 Recharge Plug-in Hybrid. The electric car with a backup plan. He has to do what you say. Doesn't matter whether you're Virgin, you're Blue Origin, or you're SpaceX, or Robert Bigelow. You are playing NASA's game. I mean, look, I have heard many a time where people have, you know, you hear Elon Musk talk about, you know, hey, you're going up to space. Have you ever, NASA told you about the aliens yet? Have you, has any of your rockets encountered aliens? And, and he laughs it off. No, I don't really believe in that stuff. You know, maybe they're out there somewhere, but they're not here. I would know. Yet you talk to people who have talked with Elon Musk about this subject or even debriefed him. He knows all too well that his rockets are being followed. And he knows there's no money in it. (laughs) There's no money in this topic. Right. Right. So, I mean, look, we know the secrets are being played. We know that there are uh, are numerous stories about it. And I'm going to do our best here. I, I'm going to try and track down Donna Hare. Make sure I still have her stuff here. I'm going to try and track her down because I think it would be very interesting for our audience to hear from her. If you've never heard of Donna Hare, 
uh, interview regarding that because I am very, very interested in rechatting with her regarding it. That is for sure. That would be exciting. That would be really exciting. We need to. We definitely, definitely need to explore that topic once again. All right, let's move to our second topic of the night. And that would be... UFO recovery and technology transfer revealed in a new U.S. intelligence document. What's this all about? Absolutely. Well, so a uh, stunning mention of reco- recovered UFOs and the exploitation of their technology by the United States government has been found buried within the newly issued official congressional intelligence document. And so you even covered a little bit of this tonight with your excellent guests. The U.S. national laboratories and private industry are implicated as beneficiaries of such retrieved technology. And further, the time period discussed encompasses the start of 1947, of course, the year of the famous Roswell UFO crash, right up to the present day. And so intriguingly, they select 1947. And so the statement was located in the massive 2023 U.S. House Intelligence Authorization Act document that was authorized uh, and authored by select members of Congress and cleared and chosen to sit on the House of Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, also called the House Intelligence Committee. And so I'm going to go over the really interesting parts here because very clearly in here, they're uh, calling on the Comptroller General of the United States to come up with a report and a a compilation required no later than one year after the date of the enactment of this act. And the Comptroller will be providing for the period beginning of January 1st, 1947, and ending on the date on which the Comptroller General completes the activities. And the compilation will itemize a complete historical record of the intelligence community's involvement with UFO and the undersea phenomenon, including successful or unsuccessful efforts to identify and track the UFO. And so efforts to recover and transfer related technologies to the United States-based industry and national laboratories are going to be tracked and any intelligence community efforts or to uh, efforts to obfuscate, manipulate public opinion, hide or otherwise provide unclassified or classified misinformation about the unidentified UFO and undersea phenomenon will have to be reviewed and conducted uh, in, in this review. And so they're looking for any kind of obfuscation or manipulation of public opinion along with these original cases. So if they there was a cover-up, they want to know about it. And so also they're going to include a classified annex if necessary. So there will be a section that we as the public will never hear about, but Congress will be read in on. And so I know we've covered this fairly in depth up until this point, but I think the implication of this information is definitely a declaration that there is information and potentially an answer to whether Wilson and Davis have been reading people in on what to ask for, for this new piece of legislation. What are your thoughts? Well, I think there's a lot of people who have been read in on this subject. 
more than we probably even know. Whether it's to do with crash retrievals, ET contact, ET communication, you know, the and you know, like Bob Science Bob said, you know, beforehand, there is still a giant percentage of people in Washington D.C., both governmental and alphabet agency alike, who really do not want, do not want this subject coming out because of their own personal beliefs and fears. Now, when we when we look at it, you know, we need to, you know, start putting this together, Tim. We need as, a, you know, and look, this is going to go through the government. You're going to have nothing to do with it, and I'm not going to have anything to do with it. We can only hope that finally some some smart minds there open this subject up to what we need to know. The public deserves a right to know if there are crash retrievals. I don't care if you're American, Russian, Chinese, Japanese, Arabic, doesn't matter to me. The public has a right to know that we have been visited. Okay? And like I said to you, and I've said to our audience before, this is a $7.75 billion or, or billion person question that needs to be answered. And if they are coming here, where are they coming from? What do we know about them? We can sit there and say to the world, we just don't know. I could put my khaki pants on right now, you know, and say, well, we just don't know. Yeah. And I mean, as exciting as it is to see this wordage, it's still absolutely outrageous as it is for NASA to be asking its own people to come forward about the UFO topic. It's outrageous that they have to ask for this information because they own the information. The fact that they're asking for it to be collated in the way that can be presented to Congress, it's just like spoon feeding a baby bird. It's very frustrating. But at the same rate, I understand the process. And just as Lou Elizondo explained to us quite a while ago, you know, this is a long game, you know, and we're, you know, going through the ebb and flow of things. Um, and it can be very frustrating. But at the same rate, these little tidbits do kind of show what has been going on potentially behind closed doors. The fact that this is the wordage does kind of say that they have an idea of where to at least draw the line historically of where they need to look at potential cover up and potential evidence. Because who knows, maybe they will be able to discover bodies, craft, and where all of that stuff went. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a trail. And if they're going to dig hard enough, they'll discover that trail. We need that trail, dude. We need that trail. Yeah. That trail needs to come out in public. It needs yeah. to be there. It needs to have some answers. Because if we don't have those answers... What are we holding on for? The only the only thing we're holding on for is some sort of nefarious act. Because they ain't doing it for you. They ain't doing it for me or anybody else on this planet. What are they doing it for? Themselves. They want the technology. They want the reverse engineering. They want the spoils of their findings. Yeah, and they're starting to kind of hint at who some of the secret keepers are. Because we know that every piece of technology is absolutely compartmentalized. You could be working on something in an industry and not know 
that you're working on a piece of reverse tech. And so who are the secret keepers? Are they the heads of these private industries? Are they the pieces, uh, the people in government that distribute out the pieces of technology? I don't quite know where to draw the line and who the real secret keepers and the key holders are. But I do feel that if we keep watching and keep listening, we may get a hint. Do you have any idea personally, Dave, of who those real secret keepers could be? And how would we potentially get to them to knock on that door and ask some questions? Well, I believe it is... Uh, there is a secret group out there that is controlling this entire phenomena. You know, if you want to put it in movie sense, it would be... If you go to the first Transformers movie, and they talk about Sector 7, okay? And then they show that video from Mars with the Transformer on Mars walking up to one of the robots there. Nerd. No, go ahead. So I'm just busting your chops. I but like, yeah, I, I get what you're never saying. slam the Transformers, man. <laughs> never, How could I? Just never don't watch sl- them all in a row. I know. Unless you really have trouble sleeping. But, but go ahead. But the, the point that I'm getting at is. Whether you're buying benches, bread makers, or bottles of bubble bath, paying for business expenses with an Amex Blue Business Cash Card can be rewarding. You'll earn 2% cash back as a statement credit on your first $50,000 in purchases per year and 1% after that. So you get rewarded for getting what you need for your business. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash business cash. Amex Blue Business Cash. Built for business by American Express. Looking to do more with your electric drive? Volvo Recharge Plug-in Hybrids travel further in pure mode. That means more scenic routes, more lunch dates, more spontaneous adventures. And that doesn't include the more you're doing for the future by driving in pure mode. Volvo Recharge Plug-in Hybrids. Do more on electric. Visit volvocars.com slash US. Is this... I believe there is a special group out there that literally are dealing with this. Okay. Uh, is it like the quote unquote cabal? No. Or is it like um, the, what is it? The, the college college. It's a mystery or, college. The name is on hmm. the tip of my tongue right now and I cannot remember it. Okay. Okay. Someone will, someone will know in the chat. And, and apparently it's a group it of four. That are controlling oh. this story. Is it like four families? No. Or is it four individuals? Four individuals within the U.S. government. Cool. That's all I know. Who they are? No idea. In the U.S. government. Okay. Mm-hmm. Majestic 12 YJs throwing in there? No, it's not Majestic. It's, uh, I want to say Collins Elite, but that's not it. That's not it. Bob wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know for sure. But um, this definitely raises interesting information here that they're asking to know if technologies have been distributed out into the pri- private sector so it can't be FOIA'd and it can't be tracked or traced. And if it happened in a secret and nefarious way, they want to know. And I love the fact that they're also 
in this wordage kind of admitting to the fact that there is probably some way to obfuscate, manipulate public opinion, hide, otherwise provide un unclassified or classified misinformation, right? So there could be classified misinformation. Mm -hmm. Why would that happen? To, to make you think it's real because it's classified? It's not necessarily real just because it's classified. Um, and unidentified. And again, obviously, all of the wordage has been changed. I used UFO because I'm not going to get a slap on the wrist like I usually do on SOR. So um, they have a very long winded description now that I have just I just UFO it now. Um, it's just but that is also, you know, highlighted in red and absolutely frustrating. And one just more way to show one thing with one hand while the other hand does something else. Absolutely. Well, the problem is this is where all these groups kind of get get involved, where where you're like, okay, this is from the Department of Defense. This one's coming from the CIA. The next one's coming from the NRO. The next one's coming from uh, the Department of Energy. I mean, where are they all coming from? Why do they all need their own departments regarding this subject? I find that strange, man. I really do. Right. And they each seem to have their own reporting office slash agency, and they're not all communicating amongst each other. They're all classifying them within each department. So there can be no interdepartmental exchange of the information. And I think that was part of the original problem that, um, you know, the original group that was supposed to research this, uh, the, the UAP task force, UFO task force, let's just call it. Um, they weren't able to even quantify any of the data between departments because of how the, the information was classified within each system within the department. Impossible. They're, they know. And here's the thing. They know that these things are that way when they create these offices. They, I mean, they knew it to the fact that they didn't even declare a director for the office. You're talking about an empty office. They knew it was going to fail. Um, but they definitely delegated funds for it. Of course they did. They need to. It's all about the money. All about the money, money, money. My friend, we got yeah. we got a couple minutes left here. Okay. Let's get to solar flares that are coming up. You know, I know solar flares are bad for this planet. Okay. But I got to tell you, I get excited when I hear of them, especially big solar flare storms. Because that means I get a nice show of the Northern Lights here at HQ. I knew you were going to say that. And I was going to ask you. Um, and so do you know how long it takes for uh, a, a solar flare to hit the Earth from the moment that it's it happens? I believe it's between 24 and 96 hours. Eight minutes. I was off. You were a little bit off. Yeah. That's pretty so, incredible. Yeah. So you have just long enough to make that phone call to let your family and members know it's about to happen. So the sun unleashed a barrage of eight powerful solar flares this week um, from a single sunspot. And it's actually growing in strength. And so the sun unleashed these eight solar flares on Wednesday. And more are expected after a crackling sunspot emerged on the star's face. Uh, not to get excited, this is kind of a regular thing. It's not the end of the world. 
So that's that's my take. That's just me saying that. And so one of the solar flares, a powerful M6, uh, which is the second highest in the uh, solar flare uh, extreme extremities, uh, caused a brief radio blackout over the Atlantic Ocean Wednesday at about 9.42 a.m., according to spaceweather.com. And so space flares are a burst of electromagnetic radiation that traveled at the speed of light. And those directed at Earth reach our planet within eight minutes of emerging from the sun's atmosphere. X-flares are the most powerful solar flare category. And the next level down is the M-class, which describes most of Wednesday's, Wednesday's observed flares. And so Wednesday's outburst stunned solar physicist, physicists, some of whom commented on the light show on Twitter that three or more of the flares in particular, all M classes ranging from two to six, uh, tweeted, in particular, Keith Strong tweeted about uh, midday that that makes eight M flares so far for today, and they seem to be getting bigger. And he wonders, is there an X flare in the offing? Stay tuned. And so... Dave, we know that solar flares are sometimes accompanied by coronal mass ejections, or CMEs, which are clouds of magnet magnetized plasma that travel much more slowly than flares, but taking up to three days to reach Earth. And so CMEs tend to cause more disruption to our tech, and as they trigger geomagnetic storms in the atmosphere when they interact with it, these storms spawn beautiful aurora displays that can cause power blackouts and even knock satellites out of orbit. And so with this new sun activity, it's a little bit exciting for physicists and sun followers and wish worshippers like myself. But it's also a little bit of a concern for the public knowing that these bursts are happening and it's a brand new crack in the sun. Dave, it's a little exciting for you too, so let's talk a little bit more. I'm just excited about getting... Uh, the the Northern Lights, you know, I mean, look, we know that this sun is unpredictable at the best of times. You know, are, are we surprised by this? Are we surprised that it's not bigger? I mean, we know that the sun can knock out communication. It can fry satellites. It can do a lot of weird stuff, you know, but unfortunately, it's one of those things we kind of have to live with on this planet. So we really don't have a choice, Tim. That's right. And one theory is that a big CME could have been the reason that Mars became extinct. It's just one theory out there, but it does explain kind of what we see there on that planet. Sure does. Tim Senor, thank you so much for coming on for the UFO report. We will talk to you in a couple nights time, my friend. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. It's been fun. Take care, audience. Thanks for being there. Absolutely. Tim Senor, our resident Timbit. Always love it when he is here. And, of course, just another, another, another great report. Tim is one of our, our number of people from Spaced Out Radio who will be attending our Las Vegas party May 19th through 21st, 2023. You are all Indeed. invited to come. All of you. It's going to be so much fun. Everybody needs to be there. You got that right. We'll have more See you later, everyone. Soon. And a big thank you to Swamp Dweller. Science Bob and friends for coming on out tonight. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. 
Special thanks to everybody listening in at work, at home, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAP, Facebook, Spreaker, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter, the hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, we're watching. We own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. If you want to bring a friend, we got room for them, too. Good night. Whether you're buying benches, bread makers, or bottles of bubble bath, paying for business expenses with an Amex Blue Business Cash Card can be rewarding. You'll earn 2% cash back as a statement credit on your first $50,000 in purchases per year at 1% after that. So you get rewarded for getting what you need for your business. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash business cash. Amex Blue Business Cash. Built for business by American Express. You've been putting back a few, and a few becomes a few too many. For a moment, you think of calling for a ride, but nah, you live nearby. What's the worst that could happen? You get pulled over, your insurance goes up, you lose your license, you total your car, you kill someone. The results of driving drunk are tragic. That's why law enforcement is out there looking for impaired drivers to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA.